Hello everyone, welcome back to the Pro 3 podcast, we're on to episode 8 now, and uh, in this uh, episode we're going to be looking at the, uh, the DDT promotion, and specifically a match which you uh, may well have heard about because it went viral not too long ago, and it's Kota Ibushi versus uh, Yoshihiko, um, and I'm going to hand over because as always uh, my compadres and friends uh, George and David are here to discuss things, and George is going to uh, sort of take you through an introduction to this match before we get started, and then afterwards uh, we also have um, a discussion um, with um, uh, Jamie as well, who is um, something of an expert on DDT. Um, so uh, yeah, take it away, George. Okay, so this one is uh, I'm, I'm not going to um, make any uh, m- I'm not going to mash my biases at all. Like this is one of my favourite matches ever. It's um, from the uh, promotion DDT, which stands for Dramatic Dream Team, uh, 25th of October 2009, and it pits uh, Kotobushi versus Yoshihiko. Now Kotobushi, if you if you're a WWE fan. He's probably someone that's going to be familiar to you for his work in the uh, Cruiserweight Classic and the odd appearance on uh, NXT, yeah, from uh, from time to time. And if you watch New Japan, no, he's a strange, he's a he's a bit of a strange chap. Like he's uh, an amazingly gifted wrestler, um, but he he's very much his own person. He would do things like he gave up a pretty prime spot in New Japan in the upper mid card to go and have you know matches against a guy with a cardboard box on his head in a Kaiju <laughs> Big Battle. And uh, to and you know he made his reappearance um, um, in New Japan quite recently as the new Tiger Mask from the new Tiger Mask anime uncredited yeah. and like it wasn't announced that he was going to be him and I was just like is that Kota Ibushi like <laughs> like making his grand return to New Japan when no one was meant to know what's him like it was him he's he's a bit of a sort of mad scientist. Um, person like he's always pushing the boundaries of experimentation in wrestling so he might be familiar to you yoshihiko um, oh, yeah. did he not set up an institute the kota Bushi pro wrestling research institute yeah. <laughs> yes i fucking love that it's probably probably got better accreditation than trump university do they publish um um uh, sort of peer-reviewed articles um alongside people from the enoki genome federation <laughs> Enoki genome is more to do with uh, genetics, I think. Yeah, yeah, true. But you know, everything's interdisciplinary these days. So. Oh yeah, that is true. Don't I? Don't I fucking know it? Yeah. Um. So Yoshihiko's someone that you might not be um as familiar with with um as Kotobushi, if indeed you're familiar with Yoshihiko at all. I think that's a shame because um Yoshihiko, as a, a high flying aerial wrestler, is. I think supremely underrated. Like, do, do you think? Do you think that's fair to say? I don't think Yoshihiko gets enough credit for some of the aerial maneuvers that he can pull off. He's like any other innovator. Um, they don't always get acknowledged, um, uh, you know, um, at, the, at the earliest point in their careers, or even during their lifetime. Sometimes, uh, so you know, it might be the case that Yoshihiko is someone that has, you know, maybe a, a critical afterlife as a darling, but it hasn't quite, um, hasn't quite happened yet. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it, but. Um, now, when I say Yoshihiko is the best high flyer, I don't necessarily mean he's the best wrestler. They are two very different things, you know. And you know, we we love we love all kinds of wrestling, from uh, you know, technical wrestling to uh, what David terms uh, shite wrestling. <laughs> and, you know, it's all it's all equally valid here, as as far as we're it concerned. Is. But um, the aerial maneuvers Yoshihiko could pull off, and I'm not just talking really impressive high flying. I'm talking moves that literally no other wrestler is physically capable of doing. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. So, you know, your, your standard uh, moonsault, you know, your, your backflip from a standing position onto a downed opponent. Yeah. Now, that's one of the most well-known aerial manoeuvres. It might be the most well-known aerial manoeuvre. Yeah. Um, I think it was, was it invented, uh, Daniel, you're a luchary expert. Was it uh, Mando Guerrero who invented it? I believe so, but there's... 
I think that's one of those things where it's very hotly disputed. Uh, but right, Guerrero, okay. Guerrero is certainly the guy that is pointed to by a lot of the, the guys that are like, it's a Lucha thing. It was created in Lucha and nowhere else that are really sort of diehard Lucha guys. They always say, yeah, I want to go. Yeah. Um, but uh, popularized in uh, America by uh, Leaping Lanny Poffo, Macho Man Randy Savage's brother, and popularized in Japan and also in America to a certain extent while he was over there by our old friend Keiji Muto. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, now loads of people, like everyone on the grand does moonsaults in wrestling nowadays. You know, you can't you can't go to an indie show without there being a fucking moonsault on Dude, every, seven in a row. Yeah, <laughs> yeah on every show. Yeah. You know, seven matches in a row, they'll all have moonsaults and they'll all have a suicide dive and none of them will be good. Um, <laughs> but now some wrestlers have upped the ante a little bit and they do a double rotation moonsault, so they'll spin around uh, twice before they hit the floor. Now, as far as I know, there's only a handful of wrestlers capable of doing that there's a uh, ricochet yeah ricochet i haven't seen him do it for yeah. a while there's uh, andrew everett on yeah. the uh, u.s indies yeah. and i think he still does it and actually uh, daniel you might not remember this because you were absolutely trash <laughs> but uh, we have seen will osprey do one live in that matt sidell match oh jesus yes you've completely forgotten yeah. haven't you uh, i'll have to watch it again <laughs> Yeah, he, he did a double rotation moonsault. You know, you know um, what the annoying thing is, though? Is I actually do remember most of that surprisingly well, um, other than, uh, yeah, by the last two two matches, I think I was really flagging. But it's a shame, because it, yeah. it did sound like I, quite a spectacle, I, actually. I haven't seen Osprey do it since, actually, because he did look like he nearly fucking killed himself fucking on it, which typical. just brings home... It's probably the only time he's uh, ever going to do it, and I missed it because I was on the drink. Well, there's always Red Foe on demand for, like, five ninety nine yeah, a month true. or whatever. That's so, um... But yeah, that just proves how hard the double rotation moonsault is to pull off. And those are the only wrestlers I can think of who have even done it in matches, except for Yoshihiko. But not only can Yoshihiko do a double rotation moonsault, Yoshihiko is, I think, the only wrestler in the business who can do a triple rotation moonsault, a quadruple rotation moonsault. I think I've even seen a, a quintuple rotation moonsault, like spinning through, back flipping through the air, yes. doing five rotations oh, and then landing is. Is 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 fucking is fucking ridiculous. You know that's the degree to which Yoshihiko is far above the you know the rest and the Will Osprey, Ricochet, Andrew Everett, all incredible high flyers. Oh, but, but, but Yoshihiko is a freak of nature. Uh, it's just... Yeah, 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 absolutely. So yeah, I mean, it's just a technique with which he does it as well. No, nobody can recreate the, the Yoshiko technique. He just has his own individual style. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. As you said, it is, it is a bit of a shame to be honest that he's not as well known as he was. I mean, you can maybe argue he is like, one of the more well known uh, people from DDT, but yeah. maybe that's just because DDT is not on like t- TV or anything like that. They, they, you know, it's yeah, absolutely. Just people posting videos that go viral because, like, you know, um, that's what another thing that DDT has. They yeah. have a lot of, you know. As we'll go into it in a moment, but they're kind of a, they have some comedic things in there as well, you know, that sometimes people latch on to. But often you don't really hear much yeah. about the guys in the videos. To, afterwards, it's just they have a 15 minutes of fame and then it's, sort of, it's gone again. So it's a bit of a shame. Yes, yeah, like if you saw that uh, spot where Joey Ryan was uh, Joey Ryan was no selling his uh, his dick being grabbed. Yeah, that, was, that fucking, was the one I was thinking. You, of. Have I got news for you? You've got Ian Hislop and Paul Merton discussing it. But that that was DDT. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, uh, David, like before before we go into the sort of the play by play of this match, uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about um, what the sort of things that happen in DDT and specifically 
um, one of their, in fact, probably their most well-known belt, even more well-known than their heavyweight title, the um, KOD, or King of DDT belt, which is on the line in this match. Ibushi is the title holder at this point. But Yoshihiko is the holder of the DDT Ironman Heavy Metalweight Championship. And so, David, would you like to tell us a little bit more about this most unique of wrestling titles? Yeah, so... Um, yeah. It's strange, to say the least. Um, basically, this, this is a unification match. Both titles are on the line. Essentially, you know, you, you know, people who were around in the Attitude Era remember the 24-7 hardcore belt where you mm. could pin anybody at any time. Yeah. Well, DDT have kind of taken this to the nth degree and then the oath degree, then the peak degree, and then just onwards <laughs> and onwards beyond any you know, reason or comprehension. I mean... I felt that the only way that I can really describe this to you is to run through a list of some of the champions. Not all of them, because there's literally been over a thousand of them. Yeah, so, for for example, um, in 2003, on the, first, uh, the 31st of January, a ladder won the title because it fell on Yoshiko yeah. Sakai. Yeah. They had a ladder match. match, which was a man wrestling a ladder. Yeah. yeah. Yes, he defended the title. Yes. They also did a ladder versus a table. Yes, It lasted did. 10 and, minutes. <laughs> Yeah, and the crowd got into it. And then we have, for example, let's see. So the ladders won it a couple of times. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Multi-time champion. champion. I mean, it's quite a popular one, yeah. Um, a taxi driver, he won it on the 20th of November 2004. Yeah. And then Dan Shokodino, who will come up to at one point. Yes, he's, involved, he's involved in this match. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's see. A chef. A chef won it on a chef. I on love this one. Thirtieth of July, two thousand and five. Not, not, not just any chef, by the way. The chief the chef, chief chef of the Yakima, of the Yakiyama Springs Inn that pins Mouse in a party room. And then he immediately <laughs> loses the belt when Haruka Mansuo defeats the chef with a sleeper on a stairway at the Yakiyama Springs Inn. And then somebody else went into. In Matsuo's guest room and pinned him as he tried to sleep. And then somebody, the next day, he loses the belt because someone pins him against a bus. <laughs> and then two, two down the line, we have Koiri Yonemiyama, who is the 199th champion, who immediately vacated the belt because the number 199 is, and I quote, not a good number to call, and participates in a battle royale to determine the 200th champion, which he has eliminated from... And Tani Mouse won it. There is, I believe, a female wrestler. Kyokyo anyway won it. <laughs> yeah, she did. On the on, on the same day, right? On the same day, and Kyokyo anyway won it twice on Christmas Day 2005. At the same time <laughs> as Kitty Chan, the Hello Kitty stuffed doll, who then lost the belt to another stuffed doll. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine her kid is like, "Mummy, can we open the presents?" Not now. I'm putting over a well, stuffed toy. Later on. <laughs> <laughs> Yuki Miyazaki won the belt um, in the same day because they had a battle royale, which included all the stuffed dolls. So basically all the champions from the rest of the day participated in a battle royale. Mecha Mummy, who I guarantee you, I saw oh. if I will watch Minoru Suzuki versus Mecha Mummy at one point, because it is yes. incredible. Yeah, yeah, that is really good. Dick Togo, of course. Um, who Dick T- Yes, Dick Togo actually won it off of Mecha Mummy, which is incredible. Um, let's see. There is a television cameraman. He won it. Lingerie Muto won it. I don't even want to know what that is. Um, no, no, nor do I. But I bet they wouldn't be able to sell mat work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and then the the president Ramu, who is a member of the six 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 group, won the two hundred and ninety thirds reign. 
he immediately... She's a, a small child, isn't she? Possibly, yes. She is a small... She's like six years old, but she's got, like, corpse paint on. She, he, he immediately <laughs> vacated the belt and then and then ha- defeated Shinobu. No, Shinobu defeated him. Then Yukio Miyamoto defeated Shinobu. And then they traded the title 304 times so that he could become the 666th champion. Okay? Oh, my Funnily God. enough... Um, and news and in, in, in between that, a female newscaster of a cable station won it at some point, and then they just continued to trade it for another sixty-two times. Um, <laughs> then <laughs> this goes on for a while, but there is there is a sequence which is possibly my favourite sequence of a title yeah. ever. It's down here. Yeah. We've got three elementary school girls as I'm going down. Um, Kota Bushi, obviously. And let's see a pro wrestling wave poster. So I mean, somebody was walking past, and a poster fell off of the wall because it wasn't sticking to the wall anymore. Fell on him, and a referee counted it, and the poster won the belt. I, I thought you meant poster was in like a forum post. Imagine if a wrestling forum poster no, won the yeah. belt. Yeah. Win the belt like wins the belt like four the core stars, not the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, yeah. A big Japan wrestling truck <laughs> just knocked someone down and pinned them to win. And then a desk at Shinkiba Ring. And then we, we have the greatest title lineage of all time. So we have Yoshihiko, uh, you know, who we're talking about now, who lost it to a desk, who lost it to a dish, who lost it to rice, who lost it to Mitsuboshi Curry, who lost it to Menchi Katsu, which is a pork cutlet. And then, <laughs> and then for some reason, somebody called Yusuke Inokuma pinned the pork cutlet to win this. <laughs> This is the most I've ever laughed at the words pork cutlet. <laughs> it's like some uh, mad version of the house that Jack built. Yeah. <laughs> and of course... Oh, this would make so much sense. The ringside matter, the ice ribbon dojo. <laughs> and a Bolivian boy. That was the other ice one. Ice ribbon daycare slash dojo. <laughs> a Bolivian boy! <laughs> a Bolivian boy during a, a, a busy period when there was six title changes in Bolivia over a five-day period. <laughs> It's literally only funny because they they, they used his uh, nationality when there was no need to. No. <laughs> exactly. But my favourite one of all time, without, sh- without a shadow of a doubt, apart from maybe Candice LeRae, who won it in a dream, is Jun Akiyama. <laughs> yeah! Fucking Jun Akiyama and Kyoko Inoue both won this fucking belt. All-time legend. Yeah. Jun Akiyama and Rice... Have the same accomplishment on their CV. <laughs> can, can I also point out that you might have missed my, my personal favourite um, series of title changes from 2007, one after each other, well, like, uh, a month after each other. So they must have, like, you know, had the, a big major show and the, this, this must have changed three times in a row. First of all, we've got the ladder. Uh, the ladder falls on Yoshida during a match and the referee counts the fall. Um, next up, we've got, without any explanation on the Wikipedia entry, Pocolo, a miniature dashund. <laughs> and then just Megumi Grace Asano, a referee. So it goes you know, from you know a, a, a ladder to um, a miniature dashund to a referee in three title changes. That's three months worth of, of booking! Right, I, wa- I, want to, <laughs> I, wa- I want to have the air clear for this, because this is possibly the greatest statement that I will ever say on this on this podcast, right? I have seen the ladder dashund title change. Oh, mate! <laughs> yes, so have I. Holy <laughs> stars! Ch- four and a half, it wasn't in the Tokyo <laughs> Dome. <laughs> 
But basically what happens is a girl comes along and sees the ladder. And instead, and very noble, might I add, I don't think I would have done this in my situation, but this girl decides, I'm not going to take the glory for myself. I could become a DDT champion, but said, I'm going to let my miniature dashing get the glory. As you do. Yeah, I mean, talk about sacrifice. Although I did notice one other one that I really liked, which was this, the 17th of June, 2016, okay? That is really key. Scott Hall, okay? <laughs> Scott Hall was a champion in 2016, and then he lost it to Colt Cabana on the same night because Cabana won the title via submission when Hall read, I give up off a sheet of paper that Cabana <laughs> kicked him into reading. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, poor Scott Hall. Oh, Bunny the Cat won it a couple of days afterwards, and there was a title change due to forfeit when Namath traded a cat treat to Bunny for the title. <laughs> That's unfair. That's just that, that, that's just outright manipulation. Two days later, John Morrison lost it to Ricochet, who then lost it to Brian Metz, who tricked Ricochet into signing a document that forced him to give up the title. <laughs> oh my god, I love it! I love this so much. I, li- I, I like it how in the um, in the Wikipedia entries when it mentions the Pro Wrestling Wave poster in the explanations like Colin. As if this is necessary, considering we've already had a ladder, uh, a dash, and, and various other things with it. It just says, an advertisement poster, not a human. <laughs> <laughs> just in case you weren't sure. Like, okay. Whereas, apparently, the dash does not need that same just, explanation. Yeah, just in case I thought they'd, like, put people through a mangler and daubed, like, <laughs> t- tonight at Corican Hall on, the, on yeah. their cock. Fucking hell, i just seen Vince McMahon's Hollywood Walk of Fame star won it in August 2016 <laughs> when Ryan tapped a star on the sidewalk. It's basically turned into Tig. Yeah. Basically, it's Tig now. <laughs> I, I think the, the probably the, the best one is the commemorative 1,000th champion. So um, they did a storyline where Sanchiro Takagi, who's uh, the owner of the promotion, was the 999th champion. He had a, an unusually long reign with the belt, i.e. like about two months. And he was taking on all comers and beating them. And he was like, yeah, I'm the greatest. You're never going to be able to defeat me. And then they um, they had this big show with a battle royal. It was like, right, surely he's going to lose the belt now. And he didn't. He won the battle royal. And he starts gloating. And then something weird happens with the lights. And the belt itself challenges him, him to a match and wins. And the belt becomes the champion of itself. Yeah. Also, the match lasted 17 minutes. Which is, I mean, that, that's in, in one sort of simple um, uh, uh, sort of, um, you know, title change there. You've really got everything that DDT is about. It is the most deliberately sort of meta promotion you could possibly imagine. But I think that, and this again, and we'll come, this is a recurring theme when we talk about Japanese wrestling. I'm honestly not sure, and this is probably a product of, again, Orientalism and all sorts of different things that are perhaps not the easiest to explain or to work out. I'm fairly sure that if DDT was an American promotion, it would annoy the fuck out of me. Yeah, and, I, I totally... That sounds yeah, like I'm being a wanker, and, I, and, and I'm not... I, I, I'm not, like, you know, someone that only wants to watch really dull, dry, um, you know, um, 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 wrestling matches. That's not why I say that. I just think that... Because I can't understand a lot of the promos, uh, there is that extra element of feeling like there's an, an extra sense of surreality about it that I wouldn't have if it was an American promotion or an English promotion. And I'd probably just find quite grating. 
Um, I, don't know what I, you guys I think, think I think part of it as well. I I I'm sure that if an American company did the same thing, they'd probably do it in a sort of ironic, you know, winking yes, at the camera sort of thing. Whereas DDT, they play all this craziness completely straight. Yeah, and they managed yeah. to get away with um, it as well because, like you just mentioned there, um, they've got. I mean, if no one's ever seen DDT before. What I don't want them to go away thinking is that this is a promotion that is just purely all about the comedy and doesn't have any serious matches, which it does have some serious matches. Yeah. And it's got some great talent. I mean, you just mentioned Ibushi, who's always been their sort of golden boy. Um, but a guy like Harashima is, uh, compared to new, uh, you know, you know, new Japan guys, other guys in Japan, is really, really not as well known by a, a wider sort of American and European audience unless you're really into Puro. And he's a hell of a worker. Like um, an yeah. amazing face for um, sort of um, um, ace and face for, for a company. Um, you know, so yeah. you've got some real talent as well. Um, Kenny Omega, who I know, yeah. uh, Daniel, you're not, you're not the biggest fan of Kenny Omega. I, pr- I prefer him you know, DDT is... than I do. I think his shtick works better in DDT. Yeah, although like I. I've enjoyed his stuff in New Japan when he's got serious. He's yeah. had some fantastic matches. Yeah. And like he's a guy at New Japan are trusting to headline the Tokyo Dome um in you know in 2017 and uh, he spent most of his career in uh, in DDT. Yeah. They have people like um Daisuke Sasaki who's uh, who's very good, um Kudo and oh, like Kudo's people really good. Um, people, yeah. people who are undercard comedy guys for the most part, even the people who are, you know, more to do with the comedy wrestling. When they get put in a serious title match at the top of a show, they can all step it up yeah. Yeah. and have entertaining matches and they can all get serious and do some good wrestling. Yeah, so these people, they don't, they don't fuck about because they can't work. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's really not what it it's, is. You know, they, they have the talent yeah. to be able to do it. It's like the, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, you know um, uh, Les Dawson. Yeah, oh, do I know? Yeah, it's like he would, he would, you know, he would deliberately fuck yeah. up his piano playing. But like, he needed to be great at the piano in order to intentionally fuck it up in a way that would make people laugh. Exactly, yeah. exactly right. And I, I, I was also, I think, um, he, and Dawson's a great example actually because Dawson, all, all throughout his career, um, harboured ambitions of being a Shakespearean actor um, and, and, and trying to move into serious acting roles as well. So he always had that kind of tension going on. So that's actually probably the only time that DDT will ever be compared to Les Dawson. But actually a very apt, um, uh, I think, comparison. And the other thing that I'd say is that it's also similar. But again, I don't want to be doing this thing that some fans are guilty of where they get into Japanese wrestling and they just presume that everything in Japan is brilliant and every guy in Japan can work fantastically and is this wrestling machine. That isn't true. There are bad workers in Japan. But with the genre stuff that they do, and David will back me up on this when it comes to death matches as well, get a lot of guys who are trained really really you know like i mean look, look at anita uh you know anita is a guy that was gonna be a new japan junior until things didn't quite work out a guy that worked in in memphis doing great balls these are people that can work they just choose to do these crazy this crazy shit you know yeah i mean the the, the one of the people for DDT I was going to mention is the Sami Kataka. Now, he's opened his own promotion back, yeah. so it's kind of an offshoot. I mean, I've seen like universal praise for his stuff. Like, people are absolutely raving about his stuff. Mm. And he's a deathmatch wrestler. Yeah. He was a deathmatch yeah. wrestler, and he's, he's um, you know, branched out. Same, Hodma. I mean, oh, yeah. do you need a more perfect example than Tomiaki Hodma, who is possibly, you know, he was a pillar of Big Japan yeah. when it started for many years, and then decided yeah. they don't want to be associated with this anymore. And I mean, if you look at Hodma the last couple of years, it's night and day, you yeah. know, compared to what it was before. Absolutely. And it's, it, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. You know, there were some people who 
there are some people who do death matches because they can't work. Like there's people in fucking you know high school gyms in America oh, yeah. or you know prefectural gymnasiums in uh, in Japan who they're doing it because they can't work. But the best death match wrestlers and you know going back to episode two. Uh, what makes that amazing uh, women's exploding barbed wire death match is the psychology and the wrestling behind it and knowing when to dish out the hardcore spots. So you are absolutely right. Um, so um, what, what I'm going to do, because like um, it was my suggestion to do the match and there's a decent amount going on. It's reasonably lengthy. It's about 25 minutes. So what I'm going to do really is just uh, we're going to go through the play by play. And then after we do the play by play, we're going to have a discussion about what where this match really fits in the context of what we were saying about DDT before. Okay? Yeah, go on. Cool. So Yoshihiko uh, comes out with his boys, including uh, a man in cat ears who I believe is um, Hikaru Sato, who is recently junior heavyweight champion in all Japan. And is actually like he's a shooter, but he's dressed in like a, a, a headband with cat ears and um, uh, dubious gay panic gimmick uh, Dan Shokudino. Who we will we will we will come to later. I mean that that, that I eagerly await the Dan Shokudino episode because it's going to be an absolute minefield. Yeah, Jesus. There's really not enough time to get into him today. No. But um, Yoshihiko comes out and I think like yeah, because Yoshihiko is the is the heel in this match. Really, he's he comes out and like we were saying, this ties in with DDT being a comedy promotion. Um, he's got all the foreign objects in the world. On his person, yeah. as the referee is searching for foreign <laughs> objects, he's got a load of bells, two shoulder-mounted bazookas full of party popper stuff, which scares the ref when he lets them off, which is really funny. A bunch of unidentifiable stuff you'd use to give like local colour to the future zone on the Crystal Maze. <laughs> and um, my favourite thing, um, Yoshihiko is actually this is a real heel move uh, in the current climate, uh, cosplaying Hulk Hogan. Oh. Yes. Um, actually wearing the old school um, Hulk Hogan New Japan uh, Ichiban t-shirt. You know, yeah. I can't read any kanji apart from Ichi because it's just a horizontal line. So it's like, oh, fucking hell, it's the red and yellow and it's the Hulk Hogan uh, t-shirt. I mean, a bit of a cagey start to this match, but it does pick up. Um, Ibushi starts quite re- quite warily trying to suss his opponent out. Um, they do a test of strength and they do the sort of Okada-style break in the ropes where Ibushi sort of pats him sort of contemptuously um on the chest and but we we get into the high spots uh fairly early on um or at least they tease them and they do this very well um ibushi takes an arm drag uh, to the outside from yoshihiko um but before yoshihiko can do a dive um ibushi hits a lovely springboard drop kick back into the ring Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then the um, what he calls the golden triangle moonsault, which is the one where he jumps up onto the. It's not the turnbuckle; it's the bit that joins it to the ring post. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. In like the little metal link, so he jump he jumps up onto that, and then he does the moonsault. It always looks uh, absolutely picture perfect, yeah. and uh, you know it's amazing because Yoshihiko Yoshihiko isn't uh, is not the biggest, not the most well built wrestler by any stretch of the no, imagination, no. and actually does a great job of catching Ibushi on this. The momentum he just must get from all that all that air. So that's um, good. And then Ibushi's on the um, he's on the offense with some uh, technical wrestling. They do the classic. I'll get you in a sleeper hold, and your arm drops twice, but on the third time, oh, it starts wiggling. It shows you're not. Um, you're not uh, dead yet. And, you know, this is something Hogan himself would do in like every fucking WWF match. 
he used to have in the 80s. And then there's some um, a lot of 70s style mat work from Ibushi actually really brought brought to mind um, yeah. some of those destroyer matches, you know, like things like toe holds and Indian death locks <laughs> yeah. and mm. Stuff like yeah. that, you know. This is way before. Yeah, like, I, I was going to mention that. Uh, that reminded me that we, yeah. should be, um, we, we should have a discussion about um, sort of the the older, uh, the, the older style and, and the destroyer and things like that. But yeah, it is very reminiscent of that, certainly. Yeah, and this is this is wrestling from before. Well, before both these men were born, um, Ibushi is he's actually thirty four. He looks about twelve. How old is Yoshihiko? I don't really. I couldn't really... Um, I, I don't know he's how been, old Joshi is. For a while, but, yeah, um, yeah his career started young. in uh, two thousand and five. Right, right. So that's that's something I'll, I'll that that's something I'll need to look up. Actually. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, like, yeah, young by some, around about two thousand and five, probably. What? Yeah, like they. I don't. I don't know if like I think Yoshihiko, if if he came out of the dojo, then you know maybe early twenties. Yeah. At yeah, that yeah. point, so they're they're probably comparable in age. Um. So. Um, there's some amazing selling by Yoshihiko as well after this uh, technical wrestling we were saying. Um, it's the, um, you know, done the Indian deathlocks and the toeholds and then Ibushi does an Irish whip and Yoshihiko just collapses to the ground because, like, he can't walk. Um, so, and that's something you don't see very often. Like, there's loads of high flyers and great aerial wrestlers who, you, know, you you can work the leg as much as you want, but when it's time to get their shit in, they ain't selling it. Yeah. And Ibushi's actually, Ibushi's actually quite like that. Yeah, well, was it the Kushida Will Osprey match? Do you remember the first time they did it? Where oh, yeah, yeah. They sold the arm. It was the arm that they did, and he did a... Yeah, it was like, it's it, so much better, because Will Osprey, he ain't going to sell the leg, work his arm. It, you know, yeah. it's going to... It's yeah, and he did a better. handspring elbow, and I mean, it looked terrifying, because he basically... Um, you know, dropped his yeah, arm and just flip collapsed onto his head yeah. because he yeah. the arm. But he did the flip into the ropes without doing the handstand. He just jumped yeah. into it and then boinged back into the ring. How the fuck do you do that? I like that this match avoids because often when you get two incredibly, um, you know, uh, sort of um, like high flying, sort of flexible guys that can do technical stuff and that can do, you know, uh, whatever it might be as well, then, you know, there's nothing that ruins it more than a body part being worked over. And then it just thrown out. I mean, famously, a couple of years ago, it might have been last year actually, there was a match between Negro Casas um, and uh, Maximo in CMLL. Um, and, like, you know, I'm a, the world's biggest Casas mark. And, um, yes, you know, I, um, I remember that match. It, that match and, really and, and I mean, I mean Maximo's a, a fine little worker as well. Um, and it, it, the first two falls are incredible stuff. It was match of the year quality. I was ready to put it into a match of the year place right away. And in the third fall, Maximo just decides that nothing has happened that we've just seen with our own eyes has occurred yeah. in the last two falls. And he's doing handsprings, he's doing um, suiciders. And there's almost a point in the match where you see Casas just look at him and go, are you really going to fuck up all that shit that we've just done? Right? And it's really disappointing, so I'm glad that this, this doesn't devolve into that at any point. No, ab- absolutely, absolutely not. There is a... Um, so after this, um, Yoshiko gets a bit of momentum actually ibushi does a second irish whip attempt and yoshihiko still collapses so still selling the uh, still selling the leg there's a um a suplex struggle spot where um, ibushi can't get him up for the suplex oh, i love and, this absolutely yeah love this. Th- th- this was brilliant i love a good suplex struggle and uh go behind leads to um a he- Ibushi gets a headlock and it's countered into this sick-looking backdrop driver. Oh God! Yeah, from uh, Yoshihiko, right. like it's a it's a real big bump to take. Then we get the fucking um, Hulk Hogan style shirt rip. 
Yes, hey, I know. What you gonna do? And uh, obviously Hulk Hogan never did no backdrop drivers. Hulk Hogan certainly doesn't fucking do the next move that happens, which is. Can I describe it? Because um, I wrote this down. Yeah, go go for it. Like, how would you describe this move? Yoshihiko hulks up, ripping off his shirt, and then does a triple backflip Fosbury flop over the top rope to the floor. Yeah, and also leaps. It must have been at least ten foot in the air as oh, well. Oh yeah, if not like, more. The drop from um, Yoshihiko's highest point to the floor, it's 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 ten feet if it's an inch, and you know it, I think it's probably a lot more than that. Like again, this is what we were talking about Yoshihiko being an amazing high flyer. Like the air he gets on this is absolutely insane. Then we get the um uh, the deja vu, which is like the lucha uh sort of go behind head scissors. But we get three of them in a row. Fucking four Yoshihiko's, of them in a row. Four. Yeah, Yoshiko's orbiting Ibushi like the moon around the earth. It's it's ridiculous. And then um so Ibushi kicks out at two, and then there's another great struggle spot as well. Um. Yoshihiko's going for a pile driver, but um, Ibushi blocks it by holding his feet, which again is really good. Like you don't see that very often. Usually, it's if someone's attempting a pile driver, they're like, "Oh no, I can't get him up." Which, yeah. which when you think about it, doesn't make any sense because surely at the start of a match is when you should you should most be able to get uh, someone up because they're not knackered. And like it's not as though when they do this spot, usually the person who ostensibly is resisting the pile driver actually looks like they're doing anything to resist it. Yeah. Whereas on this occasion, uh, Ibushi's holding Yoshihiko's feet um, to try and you know keep uh, keep uh, I guess the centre of gravity on the on the floor. And then uh, an amazing looking pile driver from Yoshihiko as well yeah. looks really safe, yeah. but just look looks safe. But Ibushi goes on his head. That gets a two. Then we get a. Um, I counted, I, I, tried I counted the rotations. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Okay. I've got it. Let's see if we've got it. But I've got it as 1,440 degree tornado DDT. Wow. I had 1,800 degree tornado oh, DDT. Jesus. That's that's two. That's twice a Tony Hawk. It is. Um, yeah, and oh, and from the top rope on top of uh, any of that. Yeah. As well. You just mentioned it's from the top rope as well. It, it's like a it's like a weather vane in in a, in a in a tornado. It's, it's it's ridiculous. It reminds me of you remember speaking of Tony Hawk. Remember like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Three. Remember if you go especially high in a half pipe and you get stuck in the roof. Oh yeah. Yes. You could just constantly turn around for like combo points. It reminds me of that. Yeah. that that's what the, it's ridiculous. That's basically what this is, but in real life. Yeah. Um, Ibushi hits the. Um, like I say, this this devastating move. Not necessarily a lot of long term selling from Ibushi, but you don't you don't expect that from him. No. This isn't really that kind of match, you know. Um, Ibushi hits a cartwheel. Take note, all American commentators, bar Mauro Ronaldo, who can pronounce this correctly. It is pronounced Pele kick and not Pele. Yeah. This is probably the thing that annoys me most in wrestling, arguably more than their lack of unionization. Like, <laughs> <laughs> is this not the thing though? Because like. As far as I'm aware, right, when Pele played football in America, they said yeah. Pele, right? And is that not where it comes from? I thought, at first I thought Pele was a different thing. I didn't associate yeah, it with Yeah, yeah, so did I. I, I thought, thought like a payload, something like uh, that. So, but it, so it, yeah, yeah, because that, that's what I thought. I mean, I thought, oh, but I think they, they mean Pele. And, like, I'm sure, like, I've watched that, like, New York Cosmos documentary and stuff, and I'm sure they say Pele in that, so... 
It's not as though, like, amazing footballer as he was, Pele was particularly known for overhead kicks. No, that's kicks. the other thing. I was going like, to ask. You didn't call her fucking Marcelo Balboa yeah. kick, do you? Wait, I, you should have called her Higuita. Yeah. You should have called her. <laughs> yes. Ayaboa. Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, oh my. <laughs> I, I prefer, I don't, I don't call either the Pele or the Pele. I call the Edson Adidentes Don Nascimento <laughs> <laughs> you fucking hipster. And yes, so, I do yeah, have Wikipedia. I, I, I just <laughs> call it the Travis Sinclair. <laughs> it's a um, cartwheel uh, Pele kick. Pele. Um, I, where Yoshihiko's uh, on the top rope and Ibushi does the cartwheel Pele kick. Really good stuff. And Yoshihiko... This is one of the, I think, underrated mad spot in this match. Yoshihiko hits a crossbody, which Ibushi counters into the sort of moonsault slam Scott Steiner used to do before he did all the roids. Ibushi nearly kills himself. Like, he nearly goes straight on his head. Um, and then he locks... Me... Yeah, go on, sorry. That's going to be a weird comparison, but right, reminding me of John Cena, right? Because John <laughs> yes! Cena has this spot where you'll catch him a crossbody, roll over... And then put them into the, the AA, which famously he did at WrestleMania 28, and everyone was stunned by it. However, I didn't pop for it because I'd literally watched a match from Superstars the day before where he did it with Ted DiBiase. Well, he's done it in Superstars. It's not not that big a move. Come on, right? Having said that, like I always pop when I see the spot, no matter how it's a done. great. It's just the fucking determined yeah. look on his face. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, figure four from Ibushi. Then and Yoshiko reverses the pressure and much as I say, uh, Ibushi doesn't sell an offense very much, but he does sell when he's getting worked over. Like the um, his facial expressions in this are really good. In fact, um, it, much as um, Yoshihiko provides um, a lot of the mo- more spectacular moments in this match, although Ibushi obviously contributes, um, Ibushi really pays attention to the details. Like um, he'll wring Yoshiko's arm before the Irish whip. That's really good. But of course, um, Ibushi's throws are fantastic. There's a really rapid speed German suplex. Oh, Ibushi is, is a, <laughs> the master yeah. of the quick German suplex. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's it's part of again Yoshihiko, not the not the biggest no. guy. And so, you, 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 if you get a little person in wrestling, or not not a little person, but like someone who doesn't weigh much, you can chuck them around with reckless abandon. It's always great uh, to see. You can you can actually fold them up like an accordion if you use the wrestling big book of cliches. <laughs> it's true. I yes. I actually fuck you. I used this exact cliche on the uh, on episode six where we talked about Inoki versus Vader. Um, thanks for showing my working bastard. Um, I've exposed the business. Oh, there's a um fucking uh, top rope reverse Rana. Um, from Yoshiko, yeah. which Ibushi counters by backflipping out onto his feet. I've never seen that before. Not even on the US Indies, where there's a reverse runner in every match. And then um, Yoshiko's mates um, decide they're seeing enough and try and rush the ring. Ibushi kicks all three of them off the apron. This was bonkers. So again, he's struggling to get Yoshiko up for the German. So what he does, this is like this is quite a deadlift. Um, bear in mind, still got. Yoshihiko in the waist lock runs up the runs mind you up the ropes still carrying Yoshihiko uh, from behind by the waist and hits chaos theory from the top rope so that's not a German suplex that's the one Doug yeah. Williams used to do where it's a backwards roll into the <laughs> German suplex and he's run up the top rope carrying another man and then hit this move um fucking hell I've I've I again there's so many things in this match you know one of the things I say about Will Ospreay is that um, you know whether you whether you're a great fan of his or not, virtually every match 
I watch a fish, he'll pull out something I've never seen. Yeah. This match is has already provided about three or four yeah. spots that I've I've never and, seen. And I am that person um, who uh, who thinks that Will Ospreay is, is not the best worker in the world. But yes, I will agree. There, yeah, even I yeah. sometimes sit there and go, "Oof, that's pretty." What even is that? <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's like you know, you know when like um, in German, where if they don't have a uh, a word for something, they will just string loads of words together <laughs> um, to make. And that's how I feel watching Will Ospreay matches. Is like, right, okay, I don't understand this move. What combination of things has he done? There's a crucifix driver from Yoshihiko. Again, love that move. Um, something Austin Aries does actually, and then a slap fight on the ground. Uh, Ibushi hits a standing Spanish fly for two. Yeah, standing Spanish fly. That's that's getting a bit overused, I think, but back in 2009 yeah. um, it was a bit fresher, I think. Um, I'll, Dan I'll be honest, I do think that now it's probably my least favourite move in the world. Um, I'm not a guy who really enjoys moves where it looks like the person taking them has to do more than the person giving them to like, you know, like... You, you're going to love what's yeah. coming up next, though. <laughs> I was just um, but actually, first, first of all, before we get to that, um, uh, Dan Chocadino comes in and, while the referee's distracted, hits a pile driver with Ibushi's head down his pants. <laughs> nice his finisher. Because this is uh, Dan Chocadino's whole yeah. whole thing. Like, it, it is really not PC at no. all, like, this gimmick. But he will just, like rub his dick in people's faces or give them a tombstone with with your fucking head down who's, his pants when you're actually who, facing the uh the, the naughty bits in, in progress which is the same shit oh uh, jack sexsmith yes. jack sexsmith um what this is this is such a digression um so my girlfriend sarah and i went to progress's super strong style 16 yeah and uh, doors were at two show started at four we'd seen some friends for lunch so we got there about 245 so I thought, okay, we can just walk straight in, and everyone was still queuing outside. So I thought, okay, why is this? And inquiries on uh, Twitter confirmed to us that um, what had happened was that the van carrying the ring had broken down, and so they'd had to get a new van, lug the, all the bits of the ring off the old van onto the new one, and then get it to the venue. So the reason everyone was outside is because the the you know the ring hadn't arrived. <laughs> So basically, what they'd done was to try and placate the crowd and keep them happy standing out in uh, Camden High Street with all the hipsters. They'd sent sweets down the uh, down the queue, but they got all melted and eaten by the time they got to Sarah and I. So I swear to God, uh, Jack Sexsmith, who was working the door but he wasn't on the show, comes down the queue and goes, "Guys, what sweets do people like?" And then he went over the road to Tesco and fucking bought some. <laughs> You don't get that on Monday Night Raw. No, you don't. Like, oh, that's fair enough. I'd be a bit worried about eating them if, if, if you know, if, if I hadn't seen him go to the Tesco's to buy them. Because uh, he is a, a, a notorious sexer. He's a sex person, then. <laughs> don't rub your fanny on me. I really like the recreation of Fry Takayama here. <laughs> Where they both just go into yeah. the shops. Oh, the slap they fights on the ground. They just go for it. That's absolutely fantastic. They're hitting each other fucking hard as well. Um, after this, um, God, after yeah. this uh, genital pile driver... It must be called the crotch pile driver. Yeah. <laughs> it must be called that. If it's not, then it's a fucking travesty. Carl Crotch. Um, again, you're talking about moves exposing the business. Now, I think you can probably give a little bit more leeway on it because it's DDT and they do wacky shit like this. Yeah. Um, um, Yoshihiko hits eight consecutive Canadian destroyers <laughs> on Kotoobushi. If you don't know what Canadian destroyer is, it's a front flip pile driver. He does eight of them in a row. Pins him and it gets two. <laughs> yeah. 
fuck, fucking hell. Like this is like this is the part where we splice in some fucking Jim Cornette rant about how everything's terrible because you know because uh, <laughs> everyone stopped selling movies they have no significance and I kind of agree with it but it's by Jim Cornette so fucking. Yeah, like I say, at this stage, we were just uh, talking about the eight consecutive Canadian destroyers. My notes for this, uh, my play-by-play notes for this match look fucking mad. They look like one of the old uh, wrestling observers where Dave Meltzer would just be uh, describing random WCW backstage hardcore matches. Just describing what's happening, but it looks insane because what's going on is so outlandish. So my favourite quote in this regard is, quote, Meng speared a life-size poster of Goldberg. Meng used the poster to block Brian Nobbs spraying him with a fire extinguisher. Meng then threw Nobbs off a 30-foot balcony. <laughs> like, just the escalation of it. I've got, you know, pile driver for a distraction. Josh Hiko hits eight consecutive Canadian destroyers. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things they just uh, put in these crazy moves. But, you know, DDT exists in its own universe with regards to virtually everything, you know, uh, the, the stars of wrestling, psychology, the way in which it's presented. You can give them a little bit of leeway, I think. And it's one of those things, whether you like it or hate it, you know, and... Like we were saying, even doing it is really impressive. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like whether you think it exposes the business or, or not, like eight consecutive Canadian destroyers, you know, is quite something. Pretty decisive finish to the match, I think. Um, Ibushi counters the uh, deja vu head scissors, um, and then and actually uh, again, like um, this is a spot that Sarah particularly marks for. Um, like she loves it's, it's one of these things. Like you know, I do it as well. I mark for the weirdest things in wrestling. She really marks for. Guys hitting wrestlers with other wrestlers. Yeah, no, I like I like a bit of that. Um, it's amazing. So Ibushi picks up <laughs> picks up Yoshihiko, uses him to twat his uh, his mates off the apron, and then and this is a move I've never seen before as well. He does uh, three consecutive power bombs. Now Brock Lesnar used to before he decided that the German suplex was the only move he ever wanted to use ever again in his life. Um, but actually does the power bomb onto um, Yoshihiko's front rather than the back. Um so it's like Sternum yeah. first going into the um into the mat must have been proper sore. Then a um front suplex uh from the top rope by Abushi. Kind of fucking bumps Yoshihiko's taken in this uh match are absolutely uh, absolutely ridiculous. It's like, it's like he's not even human at times. And uh, then Ibushi um you know a top rope front suplex pretty devastating move and then um Phoenix Splash to finish, and that gets the three. So Ibushi retains his uh, King of DDT championship and wins the Iron Man Heavy Metal Weight Championship from Yoshihiko. It's not a unification match, that but like twenty-five minutes of all-out action. Yeah, that's certainly probably one of the longer matches for the twenty-four-seven uh, uh, Iron Man belt. So that's um, yeah, that's the uh, that's the match. Like you know, really quite the spectacle. Um, fucking amazing. Um, Oh, shit, fuck, fuck. Okay, okay, so, um, yeah. Um, I, I I, don't have this written down in my notes, and I probably should have done, because I've, I've kind of forgotten to mention it. Um, Yoshihiko's an inflatable sex doll. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we should, probably should have yeah. mentioned that before. We probably yeah. should have mentioned that at the start, yeah. Uh, I, I had that in my notes as well, but, you yeah, know... Just, oh, why didn't you fucking say anything? You, I, I just assumed it was common knowledge. Anyway, no, yeah. Okay, Yoshihiko is uh, an... Inflatable sex doll with a build weight of four hundred grams. <laughs> you know, you know what wrestling weights weights are like. It's probably exaggerated. Like you don't look any heavier than three hundred grams to me. Yeah. <laughs> Is that how Andre was only six foot four? <laughs> I, I want Melter's opinion on this. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, you know, we've <laughs> we've obviously had a bit of fun with that. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I just want I just want to know like um I just want to know from listeners who like weren't aware of this match when they hear of things like eight consecutive front flip pile drivers a, a fourteen forty or eighteen hundred degree tornadoes here or whatever they do all like leap doing three backflips and leaping ten foot in the air. Yeah, there's I wonder not at what point people began to smell a rat. Yeah, yeah. None of it's a lie. Um, no, no, it doesn't. Happen. It all happens. Yeah. <laughs> but but obviously like um when you know he does the pile driver it's basically Ibushi pile driving himself similarly Yoshihiko's mates come in and chuck him over the top rope for the dive to the outside and things like that but you know it's like it's like the um, it's basically he did a it, headstand for the pile driver that's what he did yeah yeah ex- exactly you know um I think really the reason that there is a serious point to be made amongst all the um you know um coaxing people into a snafu <laughs> even my immediate family bought it <laughs> um there, there is a serious point to be made is that it's still a wrestling match yeah. it's, it's still a, a wrestling, great match wrestling match with good moves and you know for the most part good psychology and great athleticism the fact that one of the participants is not alive and is in fact an inflatable sex doll in no way invalidates this as a great wrestling match I, I in agree. my opinion i agree I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So get it gone. Well, I get I get the feeling that there is a lot of people out there who don't regard this as a proper wrestling match because there's only one person in it. They don't. They they, they don't. They just kind of you know pam this off. But to me myself, I mean, as I mentioned before, me and Daniel were both both into our avant-garde stuff. We like odd things. This to me is a, it's just avant-garde wrestling, and it's just you know taking the formula and you know seeing what they can do, and yeah. you know they all. You know, you mentioned before, um, you know about you know the idea of Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels working a match with a broomstick. Yeah. Kota Bushi genuinely did with an inanimate yeah. object yeah. work an amazing match. He's he's got a yeah. They always say yeah, Ric Flair can have a four star match with an inanimate object. Kota Bushi's like I think this is a, if you do we we don't do star ratings on this podcast, but it's at least four stars. Yeah. Oh, yeah this yeah. is one of the most memorable wrestling matches you will ever say. And I will add that even though Yoshihiko is an inanimate object, he still sells the map wrestling better than Keiji Muto did <laughs> yeah. in uh, episodes five and seven. Um, but th- actually, the I think... Um, we, we, I just want to revisit one spot because um, the way in which this works is a, a great wrestling match with great psychology. Um, just to illustrate it, going back to the spot where Ibushi whips um, Yoshihiko towards the ropes and Yoshihiko collapses. Now... N- now that you know Yoshihiko's a blow-up doll, if you didn't before, if you've never seen any clips of this, you know it's because, obviously, Yoshihiko isn't going to get whipped towards the ropes and, you know, bounce back and run back towards Ibushi because he, he isn't alive. He's an inflatable sex doll. I think we've made that clear. Um, but that spot fits in perfectly with the psychology. Yoshihiko falls over because his legs have been worked. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's not just that he can't run, but they've they've incorporated that into the psychology of the match with the, with the toeholds and the Indian deathlock, and things like that. I think that's something that's uh, really great. And what makes this match is that the crowd plays along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, oh, yeah. when Ibushi kicks out at two after the eight Canadian destroyers, like oh, yeah. like they really go mad for the near falls. They treat it as a serious yeah. wrestling. And match. even even the announcers, I mean, yeah. see when Ibushi gets arm dragged to the floor, they 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 go mental. You know that he's been arm dragged before, but this is quite a sex Do you know what I was reminded of when you, you this was mentioned? Right, was 
one of my favourite matches um, of the sort of uh, first wave of like the, the US indie boom period um, was the match that uh, was the, the, the sort of ultra violent dream match that had been uh, sort of um, uh, you know postulated about for years, which is what would happen if Necro Butcher took on Samoa Joe, because in, the, in, oh, yes. in their own ways they were the two of the most hardest hitting guys you know in their respective types of, of, of indie wrestling at that point. And if you've not seen that match, everyone, for God's sake, look it up on YouTube, watch it, it's amazing. Um, a really brutal, just utterly um, hard-hitting encounter, but not necessarily in some of the ways you might expect. It isn't um, full of, like, you know, um, uh, people, um, you know, uh, necessarily falling apart on, like, light tubes and things like that. It's played as almost like a straight wrestling ball, but with just moments of absolute carnage in it as well. Now, yeah. what nearly ruins that match for me is the commentary. Because the commentary of that match is, on one level, fairly funny, if you like insidey, smarky, wanky jokes, but it's also basically just um, CM Punk, and uh, I think it's Dave Prezak as well, um, basically just, uh, they're doing the commentary as if, we, uh, the way that we would talk about um, um, a match on, on this podcast, it's just smarky in references, it's, um, it's kind of taking the piss out of things a little bit, at no point, actually other than the great work I'm seeing in front of me and the intense story that's being told, does that commentary actually add to the atmosphere of the match? If anything, it takes away from it. And it's because that match is so yeah. good that that I'm not left feeling disappointed by that. It, this is the complete opposite. Obviously, I can't tell what they're saying in Japanese, but I don't think you really need to because there is a seriousness even in the tone of voice. But, yeah, the cadence yeah, that yeah, you use that really is clearly... Into yeah. it. Um, and that's a hugely important part of this match as well. And yeah, um, I think what it also represents is this is the match that I often show to people that maybe know that I'm into pro wrestling and kind of they haven't seen pro wrestling since they were like eight years old and they think that I'm still watching matches of the quality and the kind of levels of complexity of like Andre Hogan Mania 3, right? Um, which isn't how I go at that match or anything, but it's a fairly simply told story, easily done, right? Um, I'll show them this match and I'll go, look, right, just to give you an idea of why I consider this um, medium art form, whatever you want to call it, to be worthy of my of, of, of as much time as I put into it and as much effort as I put into it, is, you know, watch this match. This person literally has a great match with a fucking blow-up doll. Like, you know, so imagine what the interaction is like between two guys that are trying their very best to make each other look good. Imagine how complicated that interaction is when there's more than one sentient yeah. person doing yeah. it. And they'll watch that. And I showed it to my, 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 my dear friend Dave, um, who's watched very little wrestling, um, is, knows that I love it and kind of tolerates me talking about it because he's my best friend and he put up the shit with my best mates, right? Um, and he watched it and he, I, I was going to turn it off after about five minutes or so because I thought, you know, when you're watching wrestling with someone and you think, oh, they're maybe not that into this as, as much as I am. I'll just put us all out of our misery and go, oh, that's kind of, you get the idea and turn it off. And as I was about to turn yeah, it off, yeah. Dave was just like, whoa, that's enough. What are you doing? Like, and I've shown him like fucking every other like match you can think of to try and you know, oh, you must watch this, it's amazing. He's just like, eh, it's wrestling. I showed him this, and he was like, do not turn this off, you're watching the end of this. Like, so I think that says it all, really. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I actually, um, before we, you know, have some more thoughts on it, um, because of the nature of the Iron Man uh, Heavy Metal Weight Championship, um, we basically what the post match is uh, pretty, pretty interesting as well. Um, Yoshihiko um, has some sort of purple robot face underneath the Hogan face. Yeah. 
It's like when the guy's face opens in uh, Men in Black and there's a little alien inside. <laughs> Yoshiko's mates, um, furious at him for losing the match, turn on him. Um, the cat ear guy, Hikaru Sato, gives him a knee bar. Um, Danjo Kadino goes for the um, head in the pants pile driver. But Ibushi makes the save with a kick to the back and hugs a stricken Yoshihiko. And you think, oh, maybe they're going to team up or something, but they've settled their rivalry. And then um, Yoshihiko small packages Ibushi and the referee counts three and Yoshihiko wins back the uh, Ironman Heavyweight Championship. It was all a cunning ruse. And incidentally, the 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 athletic uh, ability needed to basically small package yourself using the limbs of an inflatable doll is really impressive. Then um, Dino um, get, basically gets behind uh, Yoshihiko like uh, fucking um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet in Titanic. Gets him on the um, on the ropes and um, does the Hulk Hogan pose with Yoshihiko's arms as the sweet, sultry tones of Rick Derringer's Real American <laughs> play in the background. I, I, I would like to mention right now, yes, he is a racist scab cunt, right? <laughs> I popped for the whole cup. Oh, yeah. I popped for the whole cup. I lost. Yes. Oh, mate, look, look. We can't, we can't judge like our favorite wrestlers purely by their private um, activities or the sleazy shit they've done. I would not be able to watch any wrestlers I love, probably. Like, yeah. like, the, like the territories is my bag. I would literally have no one left. But my, one of my favorite promotions of all time is run by a guy who literally thinks the Google's plan is quite a good idea. Like, you know? Yeah, the, the, I think it's just really funny, like, a a, a blow-up doll dressed as Hulk Hogan, and (laughs) DDT thinking, oh, fuck copyright. Um, (laughs) There's also actually an alternate, I've seen Yoshiko as well come out dressed as The Undertaker. Yeah, yeah. I was going to go for his history, because it's quite good. Yeah, go go for it then. So the original, the original Yoshihiko, I don't think he had anything on. I think it was just... It's just a sex doll, yeah. Oh, natural, yeah. And he was killed by an Antonio Hondo knee drop, which caused his head to burst open. He was <laughs> he was replaced with a second one. It was also a sex doll, only it was modified to resemble the Great Muta and probably sold better <laughs> as well. Um, <laughs> this The second one, um, the second Yoshihiko, he was killed by Kenny Omega, of all people, after a giant swing sent him flying out of the ring and he split his head open and get cut, cotton stuffing revealed out of his head. Then it was a, 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 a six in the motor scale. But he, he done colour or cotton. He did cotton everywhere. <laughs> done. Blade job. And then after that, the third one was it was the un- American Badass Undertaker. And he used American Badass yeah. as his theme tune. And then. Oh, I, I've, I've, I've also seen him uh, come out with the, um, the Ministry of Darkness theme. Yeah, like, and I think, yeah, Hogan's the, I think, still the current Yoshiko, because they had a rematch. Yeah. Um, Bushi and, uh, and Yoshihiko. I mean, one of the questions we wanted to ask is the, the validity of this type of wrestling as a as opposed to, you know, more serious pro but it is a serious yeah. match, really. Yeah. It's, I, you know, does it, you know, does it expose the business? Of course it does, but DDT is about, you know, playing with the tropes yeah. of professional wrestling, having fun with the art form, and, I mean, it isn't like, um, 
this is a really really niche niche company either um in terms of getting attendances to their big shows oh. ddt is probably the third largest company in japan yeah i think it is yeah. Yeah, did, did behind new japan and dragon, dragon games Day. i think yeah. ddt gets the third yeah, biggest games yeah yeah there's there's a huge market for this sort of thing i think in terms of dragon gate you know this kind of crazy outlandish wrestling you know there really is a market for it now and you know, even new japan's become more americanized in terms of in terms of gimmicks yeah. and the presentation of it and the the more old school privacy companies like uh all japan and noah aren't particularly doing so well a lot of those ddt shows that they get the big numbers through the door for will often feature something like a main event uh, a few years ago they had okada against Ibushi. yeah they, they will push the boat out for big draws on, on those things um yeah kenny omega versus total Ibushi was a match from a few years ago that a lot of people liked as well that was a serious uh match between two ex-tag team partners built as their, their main event for their big show. So, yeah, you know, they'll, they'll often have, you know, this complete bizarro shit uh, on the undercard that um, can often be topped off by some real, you know, um, what even people that don't like that style of wrestling would recognise as a, as a, as a formal, um, you know, more um, straight-up match as well. Oh, yeah, like the, the first full DDT show I ever watched was uh, all of the undercard matches were wacky in some way. Um, but then the... Two matches from the top, there was Tetsu Endo and Konosuke Takashita against um, uh, the wonderfully named tag team Strong BJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sekimoto and Kobayashi. Oh, Great match. Man. Little yeah, guys against big brutes. Played completely straight as well. And uh, Kotobushi versus Harashima in the yeah, main event, yeah. which was fantastic. I don't know if this was um, the night that Ibushi got a temporary ban from Sumo Hall for getting his ass out backstage and then being photographed. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Great arse as well, by all accounts. That's so funny. Like, <laughs> I just love the fact that it wasn't the fact that he got his ass out, it was the fact that he got photographed. Did, did he yeah. not get banned as well for diving in Summer Hall from like, the top balcony? Oh yeah, like that? that was that show yeah. as well. Maybe maybe he, he was just like, oh, you, you know what, like, you know, I'm already in trouble for the diving, I may as well show everyone my cans. <laughs> yeah. Just, just okay. thinking about that sweet can. <laughs> Oh no! But honestly, I think like to to sort of wrap up sort of um, the the sort of real takeaways from this for me are the fact that there is a debate that takes place in wrestling about whether or not you can be someone who uh, is capable of sitting there and saying, "I view every different style um, or presentation of wrestling as." whether or not it achieves things on its own merits and whether or not it um, achieves what it sets out to do within that context. Or you might be someone who says, well, you know, um, various different styles and things like that are great. There is a diversity of styles. However, certain styles are simply superior to another. Um, I honestly vacillate quite a lot between which one of those things I agree with. I've not actually come to a position on that yet. I don't think I ever will. I think I will probably, it will depend on what, what, what side I wake up on the bed on. I can sometimes wake up and feel like a smarty fucker and say, oh, fuck this, I can't believe this isn't real wrestling, I just want to watch real stuff. Other days when I'm feeling in a better mood, I've maybe got a little bit less anxiety going on, I'm, I'm happy with myself, <laughs> you know, like I've got less of a burden emotionally of, of, of whatever it is in life, work, you know, whatever. I'm happier just to sit and watch things within the environment and context they're presented in and if it hits the right notes, it hits the right notes, and that leaves me happy. But I don't know that that's the sort of debate that this is is presented in, in an effort to get into. The second one um, about you know viewing honest merits, I definitely fall into that category. As you know, I mean, I'll 
you know, I kind of look for something positive out of every match. Yeah. Not everyone has that, but I always look for something I can kind of take away from it, regardless of what type of, you know, match it is. Um, yeah, um, obviously there's some biases that, you know, that I'm not, you know, that there's things that I don't necessarily bother with. Like, for example, Ring of Honor is one of them. I never watch Ring of Honor. It's not necessarily that I hate it or anything. It's just not something that interests me. But I'm sure if I watch Ring of Honor, you know, there might be some stuff that I like. But, yeah, no, I, I, totally, I, I totally see what you mean. But there is a lot of people out there who are on the, you know, on the other side of the fence on that one. And I know I'm vastly not, you know in agreement with everyone else regarding my opinions on wrestling. I don't think there's I don't think there's anything wrong with either of you really. Yeah. Um inherently. But whether you whether you like you like all styles to you know, more or less equal degree and accept, you know you take something away from everything like you said, David, or whether you think certain styles are superior to others and you'd rather watch those. I don't think there's anything wrong with the latter, as long as you have kept an open yeah. mind as far as you know, no find find out, you know, what your style biases yeah. are. If, if indeed you have them, you know, if you if something, uh, you know, something we've um, mentioned on this podcast that you're not particularly familiar with and you think, oh, I, you know, I'm not sure about whether I'd like this or, you know, you give yeah. it a try. If you don't like it, exactly. then you know, that's, you know, that's not your fault. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at least at least if you keep, I think that's one of the things this podcast is about. Really, we want to cover all different types of Japanese wrestling. Just um, if you keep an open mind yeah. about the, the, you know, the types of stuff that's out there. And you know, just just give it a try, really, and find out which uh, which side of the fence you you fall on in terms of uh, in terms of validity or the equal quality of different styles. Yeah. I think. I, mean, I think the, the problem is for me is that, um, like 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 David just said, I can often end up maybe missing out on certain things that I would enjoy because they are presented um, amongst a lot of other stuff that I maybe. I find a bit more trying. PWG is a great example of this, right? I know there's great matches that happen in PWG all throughout the year, um, but they are surrounded, for my taste personally, by a lot of stuff that just doesn't do it for me as much. So it, I, I really have to cherry pick, um, and, and, and I rarely watch full shows of it. Um, I'll just find out from someone I trust um, that they thought this match was decent and it was worthy of my time and I wouldn't necessarily investigate the rest of the show. And that's okay as well. You, you can cherry pick, but we're kind of, I guess, doing that for you in, in this episode, is that we're, we're taking three different things and kind of just sort of present them to you and say, if, you're, if, if it sounds like it's up the street, go and check it out, you know? Stuff. Well, that's great because uh, you were expecting us to be the end of the podcast, weren't you? Ah, uh, you 
silly sods. <laughs> no, we have a wee treat for yourself. We have a guest. His name is Jamie, and he's from Dramatic DDT, the, the Twitter page for <laughs> DDT. And he's here to just discuss Dramatic Dream Team and Abushi Yoshihiko that we literally just talked about. We thought to get him on for a wee natter. So, Jamie, how are you? I'm doing well. How, how's it going with yourselves? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, I have a cup of tea. I have the vape. Thing that really pisses off David, so we're... Just smoke and die, like, it's easier. <laughs> I've been, we've, been, we've been through this, we've been through this, like, I want to live now, I want to live. <laughs> if it works for the big show, it works for you. <laughs> you just need Destiny, exactly. that's it, just start on Destiny 2 and you'll be going for the next 12 months. <laughs> I've got, that, that, that's coming up after the podcast finishes recording, I've penciled that in for later on, that's all good. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, uh, we're gonna ask um, we're gonna ask Jamie some uh, some questions about DDT, some questions about the match that we've uh, just looked at, and we'll probably, knowing us, end up going off onto all sorts of uh, tangents where DDT kind of um, ties everything together. Is that yeah, right, lads? Well, first of all, Jamie, well, mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably we kind we kind of asked this about ourselves at first, and you know, mm-hmm. I think this is going to be a recurring theme with all our guests. So I mean, like, how did you yeah. first get into wrestling? just gradually found it on Sky 1 one day when I was like three or four years old, like just Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan, and oddly enough, I somehow got access to New Japan on Yo Sport when I was around five years old as well, so while oh, everyone nice. else was watching uh, WWF, I got to see like Jushin Thunder Liger matches as well, so yeah, it's a very weird upbringing, but yeah, it's mostly, yeah, I was mostly a WWF kid for most of my life, and then... Uh, I, d- I distinctly remember there was one New Japan on Eurosport show where they had Chris Benoit doing a diving headbutt to the floor. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> fucking it, cable it does all make sense in <laughs> retrospects. <laughs> oh, my God. God yeah. But, yeah, like, I, I remember, like, the, the 90s was a bit of a, a gold mine in terms of getting, like, you know, wrestling. You, you If you knew where to look, I mean, even now, mm. obviously, it's a bit easier, but, like, you know, if there was wrestling on, people could gravitate towards it and could get it. Well, I was from that weird period where it was uh, Sky One having WWF and uh, UTV, which is the Irish equivalent of ITV, I think. They had brief access to WCW Saturday nights. So this was oh, ju- oh, nice. this was just before the Monday Night Nitro came in. So it was around, like, the Ric Flair, yeah. Vader feud and, uh, you know, Beatles oh. thing. Yeah, yeah. So, like, early, early 90s. like Very 90s, early 90s. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's an interesting time, actually, for, for some of those shows. Like, me and David have, uh, like, often exchanged uh, messages about, like, kind of just bizarre matchups that would happen on, like, WCW Saturday night shows around that time and things. And just interesting stuff. There's a great DVD-VR thread that's, like, 35 pages mm. long with people just posting, like, Saturday night matches, and it's, it's very yeah. strange. Yeah, yeah. So, I've, like, I mean... I think all of us, uh, all three of us, we all had a bit of a lull. Um, mm. Mine was after mm. after JBL won the belt, I kind of <laughs> fell out. Not because of JBL, it was just kind of, you know, I found drinking women and, you know, and heavy metal. Like, you know, I had other things in my life at that point. So like, I kind of slipped away and then it was a good about, say about three, four years. Oh, mm. probably about four or five because I, I kind of got back in by watching WrestleMania every year because I moved out and had my own house and so could watch WrestleMania without all my family telling me off or, you know, buying it. Mm-hmm. Um, did you do that? Were you Have you always been interested in a no, well as well? No, more or less I've always been interested. Like, there would probably be a year in my childhood when I didn't have access to Sky 1, so I missed out on, I think, maybe the period when Yokozuna was champion. But right. but other than that, I've pretty much always been uh, heavy into it. Like maybe now, but that's more just because I can just watch whatever I want on YouTube rather than yeah. stick yeah. around for three hours. 
Yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a golden era, really, because like. Um, oh, no, absolutely. I, I don't know if you I don't know if you were aware of the wrestling channel. I don't know if that was on in uh, in Ireland. No, and it, it 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 was. I believe the offices were uh, somewhere in Dublin. Yeah, I think yeah. it was run by oh. an Irishman. Yeah, and we didn't know how good we had it at that time because if you wanted to watch wrestling, you had to buy a tape in like a brown paper mm-hmm. bag from some dickhead on like David Meltzer's <laughs> letters page. And like now, you can just type in, you know, Barber versus I don't know Hanson into YouTube, and you will get several yeah. videos. <laughs> it's it's crazy, like, absolutely crazy. Dude. Especially when you think about all those like world of sport, especially about wrestling channel because wrestling channel had all of them. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. they showed them, and people didn't realise at that point that yes, yeah, it's basically never going to be unsealed again. That that was your chance to see it, and a lot of the stuff just kind of, you know, hasn't been seen again because it was just given to them, and nobody bothered to tape it. Because I mean, I think like if I was, if I if I was this age now with the wrestling channel, I wouldn't leave the house. I would just <laughs> I don't leave the I would house. Just see no tape. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> this is our social life. What are we on about? <laughs> but like, it's conversely, I feel like if it was a kid now, and to be zero with everything where I didn't have to go to work and I didn't have any responsibilities, ah, yes, yeah, and all night watching various things like you know all the the streaming services and things like that, how, how unbelievable that would be. Just you know, being able to just gorge and all this content all the time. I mean, it is kind of amazing. I do see people kind of take it for granted just how easy it is to access this stuff nowadays. Now, a lot yeah. of it is because you have to pay yeah. for it, which I think is what turns a lot of people off, to be honest. But, um, no, I mean, yeah. it really is unreal that a wrestling show that happens in Osaka can be watched live around the world now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, the yeah. Kenny Omega Okada match that just happened a few days ago, Like I watched that live in my room when it was like, I think it's ten o'clock in the morning over here. Yeah, <laughs> and it's the same with like Wrestle Kingdom, like the Tokyo Dome show. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know, I'm now in the, the position where I take January the fourth off work just <laughs> okay. so I can watch it. <laughs> and like, I, I can't imagine saying to somebody like ten, fifteen years ago, you know, oh, I, I'm taking January fourth off to watch the Dome show yeah. live. And they're like, what? <laughs> like you do that for WrestleMania, but not for the Dome. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. like when I was tape trading like years ago, and I was like a, a, young, a young teenager, and like if the if any big show like that happened, like the Dome Show, or whatever, I would basically be like, okay, well, it's happened on the fourth. I'll probably not be able to watch it for like two months, so I'll I'll just I'll just park it there and I'll just not check any results. <laughs> like, and it was easily done. Yeah, so, you know exactly. Like, so and, me, uh, I feel like I'm with that like that with boxing because I watch a lot of boxing, but I watch mm. it like that. I don't watch it live apart from like the really big yeah. ones, but I'll record it and keep it on my PVR and then go back to it like mm. six months later, having seen no results. And be able to watch it yeah. spoiler free just because I don't have that many people who are into boxing. Like people don't post it on, like Facebook mm. or anything like that. So I, I kind of get away with it. I can't imagine being like that for wrestling though now, in this day and age. I'm, I'm looking forward to that uh, long heavyweight title reign of Tyson Fury. That <laughs> 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 no, don't the, the booking's terrible. Um, <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, like um, I think um to like to sort of lead on from from that question um I'm I'm kind of cribbing one of the questions that you had George because the same as one of the yeah. ones that I had so I'm gonna like um, uh, put it in here now uh but we've spoken about sort of um how long you've been uh, a wrestling fan for and things like that but um if if you grew up as kind of like a WWF fan you mentioned that you had some New Japan stuff on Eurosport things like that so what was the first um like Puro match that you remember seeing for the first time um well from the Eurosport era it would be. Jushin Liger against I think it was a wrestler called Black Cat. Oh yeah, mm. yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I, he's more. I think he's more known now because they always have see during the 
the, the Fantastic Mania show. Yes, they yes. Always have a, they always have a tag team match for him. Oh, yeah, that, that's, he's, that's the tribute match, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they always do that. But, um, yeah, like, that, 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 I mean, that's a great match to start with, to be honest. Yeah, yeah so it was like a Mrs. Black Cat, particularly a, a, a substantial match. I have no memory of it, of I was, was going to no. say, like, it'd be quite <laughs> funny, because what, what we did on a previous episode was, uh, first three episodes, we each reviewed... Our, our three first pro matches of all time and they were all quite momentous ones like Daniel had the Kawada versus Sasaki 2000 uh, dome match <laughs> which is really good David had the um, combat Toyota um, Megumi Kudo barbed wire death Bob match Boy and I had oh, um, yes. the famous yeah. uh, June si- uh, sorry June 9th 1995 Holy Demon Ivory versus Misawa and Kabashi tag match I think it would have been quite funny if any of our first pro matches if Daniel you'd be like yeah the first pro match I watched was um El Gigante versus, uh, I don't know, <laughs> so it was two minutes long, it was terrible. Just want to point out that Yo Sports Show did sometimes do uh, special editions of their episodes, which just like best ofs, and they did one for El Gigante. It was only 30 minutes long oh. and had a few matches in it. I wish I remember <laughs> what the matches were, because they were god-awful. Oh, oh, I'd love to see that. Oh, my goodness. I, I mean, I, I've made it perfectly clear on here before. I'm a fucking massive fan of El Gigante. <laughs> I love things like that. I, I would I would adore that. If I had seen that in Eurosport, I would have lost my shit. I could, that is amazing. <laughs> An El Gigante like, I'm certain the show was probably shown in America, and there's a proper name title for it, but when it was Eurosport, it was just, like, wrestling. And it just happened to be New Japan, and I learned over the years when I got internet <laughs> access who these guys were eventually. Eurosport still do that, actually. They had, um, last year, they had a show called World Championship Wrestling, right? And I was going through the EPG, and I was like, what? What, what, what the fuck is this? And I turned it on, <laughs> and it was at, uh, the actual World Championships of Amateur Wrestling. Oh, <laughs> I mean, they called it World Championship Wrestling. I thought they just found some like, old WCW Prime tapes or something. They thought, you know, yeah. it, we'll it on. <laughs> <laughs> the ice hockey finished early. We'll just put on WCW Prime instead. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, yeah. Well, if I can um, skip on from there, like yeah, when I got started watching Japanese wrestling properly, which was more in my teenage years, it would be the first Wrestle Kingdom show that uh, that was the first one I watched properly. All right, okay. Because mm, I, I think nice. it was um, the Brian and Vinny show on uh, FOW Online. I think they did a review of it, and um, it just captured my imagination because. It, there was a 10-man junior tag match, which quality-wise wasn't that great, but the entrances are something to remember. It was yeah. a Voodoo Motors and uh, CTU, I think, teaming together, because it was a New Japan, All Japan yeah. crossover show. That sounds a bit yeah, yeah, like yeah. Ida as well, yeah, so it probably was CTU. Yeah, and it put, it, this was like Milano Collection AT was the big push junior at the time, so him, oh. Jushin Liger, Shuji Kondo, Brother Yashi... And a fifth one who escapes my mind right now, but it was all of them coming down with the uh, invisible dog and two oh, women yeah. on each of their arms. <laughs> oh, it's amazing that entrance! Like, it's so good. Uh, like, <laughs> well, um, funnily enough, we do mention the invisible dog in our next episode. Unbelievably, we can actually do that. <laughs> yeah. um, so, like, were you regularly watching New Japan from that point, or was it always like, were you were you still getting like the take? How long did it take you to get it at that point? Like, did you go out? Like, did it take you a while to get it? And were you actively into New Japan after that, or was it still kind of? Um, I, I got a few DVDs here and there from. Uh, it was a website called Pro DVD Source that no longer exists. So, and, yeah. but um, it was the case where I put an order in, had nothing for two months, and then out of the blue the DVDs arrived. So I just had faith in them from that point on. But it's a great mm. day when they turn up, isn't it? Yes, uh, absolutely. 
but it, it was more uh, Dragon Gate and Noah I was into because uh, I was a Ring of Honor mm. fan at the time. So that's how I got my uh, look into Japanese yeah. wrestling. And New Japan, yeah, well, I just yeah. figured uh, to get a few New Japan tapes as well on, on the way because I figured you know, more companies to watch. Where did When did you tu- uh, turn on to DDT? Ah, yeah. Well, this is interesting, actually, because I was comparatively late um, onto DDT. I basically had a mini kind of break, not from all of wrestling, but just it had slipped down. Keeping up with like all the kind of um, independents and things like that um, had really kind of um, slipped down my radar really a little bit. And I I was basically just going off like reports that I read in the Observer and on the internet about stuff. And I had other things going on in my life. And as I used to do at that point, kind of at the end of the year, I think, right, I really need to catch up with all this shit. And I had looked through all the kind of match of the year lists. Um, and this was the first time, really, that I'd noticed um, a DDT match um, uh, pop up on there. And it was the Kenny Omega uh, um, uh, Kota Ibushi match from the Peter Pan show. Is that the one in Budokan? I think so. Is that right? Yes, that yeah. sounds right. Yeah. And it was getting a lot of hype and stuff. Um, and yeah, I, um, I'd i never really properly heard of Omega much. Um, and I knew that they used to be kind of tag partners and stuff like that. I knew a bit about the, um, the, the background, but I'd never really properly seen him work or anything. And I think I'd maybe seen Ibushi a few times or something. So it was kind of my first introduction, but it was way late, really, uh, in comparison to maybe some other people. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jamie, where, where did, when did you first get any DDT? Well, I discovered them through uh, Chikara from their Tag World Grand Prix in 2006, I think it was. Um, it was They had four wrestlers uh, brought over, and they kind of had the best matches of the tournament. And when I mm. looked them up on the internet, I started hearing all the crazy stuff associated with the company. So the <laughs> ladder winning the championship, uh, getting a retirement yeah. ceremony afterwards... Uh, Dan Chalcudino, and then there's uh, Poison Swada Julie, who kind of uh, possessed wrestlers. Yes. <laughs> and from that point on, I, I followed them a little bit, um, heard what I ca- could from message forms. I think Yoshihiko actually was the point when I started following the company full-time, because when I saw that match, I just had to see more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's good you have me on here, because I think this is the origin point of when I got onto DDT. That's oh, that's good. Well, I'm, yeah. I have a very, I have a very, very weird um, way of how I got into DDT. Um, <laughs> it wasn't even DDT. It was, and this is very niche. Union Pro, you know, Union yep. Pro, the offshoot of mm-hmm. DDT. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the bread eating death match. Oh yes. Kenoka <laughs> versus Yoshi Kikuchi, which I've got to, I've got to put my hands up and say, right, there's some great bread psychology in there, right, and great, <laughs> some great use of milk, right. And it's yeah. not even a joke. It's a fantastic match. And uh, yes, it's a very silly match. It's based around bread. And I think the whole idea was that, I think it was at Kenoka. Yes. Um, one of them injured the other and oh. they get put into a hospital. Um, and they could only eat bread <laughs> for months. And they just spent months stewing there eating bread. And <laughs> um, when he came out, he said, I want to show you exactly what I went through for in the hospital bed. This really heated Memphis-style angle over bread. Mm. And I was like, I, mean, it was, I was like, this this is just incredible. And I watched it, and I was just enthralled at that point. And I was like, I, where, where the fuck is this coming from? Like, I need to know more about this and find out more, because you can't just go from, you know, 45-minute Bam Bam main events to bread-eating death matches. There's got to be stuff in between that, you know, that kind of links up because, as as I mentioned previously in the podcast, comedy matches, stupid freak show matches, that's my bag. I, I would take that. Give me stupid comedy matches over, like, 20-minute Raw main events any time. I will, I will take it all the time. So, 
Yeah, but it's 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 interesting that you mentioned that though because um the the very fact that you mentioned that it reminded you almost of like an old school Memphis angle but with like you know the words broken leg or like bottle replaced with like bread um is it, it actually makes sense to me because like um like I, I don't know if you're, you're you're aware of this Jamie but David's a big comedy fan I'm a huge fan of like eighties uh, Memphis okay. stuff. Um, and actually, like in a, in a funny way, the description you've just given there, David, does work because there are things in BDT that are essentially comedy, but that is played with this like level of of conviction and kind of um, like you know import sometimes, where they, they do it with this like totally straight face, and it actually does remind me a little bit of some of the crazier, kookier Memphis angles from back in the day. So that's interesting like, to see where our taste would dovetail there, you know? I feel that the idea, like, if they had replaced bread, like, if he'd been in a hostel bed and he had, like, been watching TV or something and been watching him yeah. use this move and then say, when he came <laughs> back, I'm going to use this move to hit you, people are like, wow, this is an incredible yeah. angle. It's so heated but, and all that. But, you know, it's bread instead. And yeah, it still but, works at a, a really heated level. I mean, it genuinely reminded that that angle actually generally reminded genuinely reminded me of the uh, the great um, like um, um, uh, Tommy Rich against uh, Jerry Lawler with Austin Idol. Uh, the hair match, um, which is genuinely has like actual <laughs> like you know um, uh, things that remind me of it in there weirdly, but uh, yeah. That's a very you thing to say. <laughs> well, no, yeah. If you're playing Baker Bingo at home, dong. Uh, well, I because mean, that's you... how Bingo works. It goes dong. <laughs> since you brought that up, and we're kind of starting to figure things out now, because a lot of DDT in the early years were influenced by the groups like FMW and IWA Japan, and they had their influences yeah, in yeah. Memphis. So we kind of wonder if the family tree can go yeah. all the way back there now. Well, totally, because I mean, Anita worked in Memphis, you know, mm-hmm. um, um, in some great, uh, you know, big angles like that back in the day. So yeah, that that makes total sense. Well, uh, one thing like, I was listening to um, uh, Chris Charlton, like the review away recently, did a DDT show of um, the Apartment mm-hmm. show where they go to oh, the yeah. Apartment like in Die Hard trilogy, just going up every level, <laughs> like like the raid or something like that. And they did it, and at the end they had a chat with Chris Charlton, which I'm going to crib from liberally. I'm not going to deny it because you know he had some great <laughs> points, but he mentioned that <laughs> at first um, with uh, DDT I think Sanshiro Takagi who started it mm-hmm. had uh, had deigned to have it like a shoot promotion so he was going to have it like like sort of a, a UWFI style thing but it was also at the time of like just before Pride came out and you know Pride kind of washed all that, that shoot style stuff away because at that point like you know had like rings and UWFI and that they were mm. like they were all going downhill at this point. UWFI were already gone at this point, actually, around about ninety seven, I think it was. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think they they did kind of struggle at first with you know what their i i well, what their identity was going to be, and certainly like I can definitely see them borrowing a lot from Anita and like, FMW and that, and they're obviously borrowing a lot from Memphis. So you could de- I could definitely see that you know the the dots being connected on that one. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my first experience of DDT was, it's not actually one of the like real famous matches. It's not like uh, Mecha Mummy isn't involved. It's not the Ibushi Yoshihiko <laughs> one, the, thing, you know, the ones everyone's seen. It was, I think it was 2009. I'm struggling to remember the the exact participants in the match, but I do remember one of the teams was, uh, Jamie, you probably remember this match. It was, uh, uh, the team was uh, the Great Kajika. Um, Mr. Six and Riho. Oh, so this, uh, I don't remember the match itself, but it was on one of the Beer Garden shows. Yeah, yep. and like, yeah, it, it was just I was like, this is absolutely mad because you've got like uh, the great Kajika who is so so old he wrestled for JWA, um, <laughs> and he's still wrestling um, he with um, 
a child luchador and um, <laughs> Riho, who um, who I actually uh, saw wrestle um, last month for uh, Pro Wrestling Eve, who is Rio a uh, twelve-year pro at the age of twenty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, like, um, it, to yeah, like, I think Antonio Honda was involved in Yoshihiko. And... Oh no! So this, uh, I just want to correct myself. That that was a sumo hard show. So I think that was after two thousand and nine. That might have been two. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, if, oh, if Honda, wow. okay. Kajika, and Riho and uh, Mr. Numbers, like two thousand and nine, there was a big on show with the two kids in it, but Kajika and Honda were not involved. So that I remember. So oh yeah, this was a must have been that one then. Yeah, we've kind of touched on um, several things that we'll probably want to explore like a, a little bit later. Uh, but I guess the best thing to do, we remember, just to start off, considering that we do have kind of a, a, an expert here with us, um, we, we're going to talk a little bit ourselves in in uh, we have done previously in the show about kind of um, the formation of DDT and um, and kind of how it, how it all got started. But maybe if you could just give us kind of like um, a slightly more comprehensive kind of background than the one that we've just given about the, uh, the origins of this company and how it's developed and why it's developed in the direction that it, that it has done to be so distinct. Um, I'll try my best. Now, I'll, I'll admit, I'll yeah. admit a lot of my knowledge is from kind of 2008 onwards. I wasn't really uh, familiar with the old years, but I'll try and fill in the blanks if I can. That's totally cool, yeah. Okay, so um, DDT was launched in uh, 1997. It was Sanshio Takagi as part of a... He was a previous indie group. Um, let me just see what it was called here. PWC, which was called Pro Wrestling Crusaders, a micro-indie sleaze company. And at first, like you said, it was trying to be a straight-laced company. They tried to do a lot of... Uh, sort of worked martial... Not worked martial arts, but that kind of weird shoot style. But uh, going into the 2000s, He's a big WWF fan, or at least he was at the time, so he started to turn it more into a sports entertainment company. And with that, it had a lot of uh, parodies and references to WWF. Um, he, he himself actually worked on WWF TV shows over in Japan for a while. And oh, um, it was still kind of a very sleazy in the group, but he had a weird promotional mindset and did a lot of weird ideas. He did, for example, a uh, one-match-only show with him and Sushi Yonita in a barbed wire match. And it, that was the only show on the card, <laughs> and he was able to sell that out. It didn't always work. There was a feud he had with Kenzo Suzuki that had, went through the same ideas and just completely flopped. And it, they kind of <laughs> referenced those jokes uh, nowadays as well whenever they wanted to stick the build in. But it was around um, mid-2000s when everything was starting to come together because uh, they had uh, Kodo Ibushi coming in as a rookie and he was he was the supernova. He was the next big star mm. for them. But they also had a wrestler called uh, Harashima who became the backbone of the company. And they, they had other things like uh, Shuji Ishikawa was uh, working for them. Uh, Dick Togo has been an important part of their company's history. Mm. And up until 2009, they started building momentum and they, they they were the little engine that could because out of blue, they announced that they were going to do a show in Sumo Hall and there was such strong support for it, uh, this little underdog company doing it, that they sold it out legitimately. And I, I think that the, the headline match, I think, was Hiroshima and... Yeah, I think Hiroshima and Ibushi, I think. That's that, that's pretty amazing as well for a company of that size at that point to be able to sell sell, sell a place out that lots of bigger companies have, have given fake attendances for. Because they haven't. <laughs> <you know. laughs> this was one thing that I wanted to mention, mm-hmm. actually, because I was looking at it and I didn't even realise, like, because somebody posted a stat up. Obviously, this has been recorded a couple of days after Dominion um, with Okada Omega 2. And somebody put up a, um, a stat that I think um, Omega was, I think, the 13th person 
to have headlined Korokan Hall, Budokan, Sumo Hall, Tokyo Dome and Osaka Joe Hall. He was only the 13th person to do that. Um, and the Budokan especially was because of DDT. So I kind of re- didn't realise at that point that, you know, they, they've ran Simo Hall, they've ran Budokan, they also ran Saitama Super Arena. Yep, they did that back in March for the 20th anniversary. Yeah, and mm. like they, because I, I remember listening to like um, the Japanese audio wrestling podcast a couple of years ago where they were saying like they, they made this public like a good couple of years before saying we're going to run Saitama Super Arena. They did. Um, I think they also said they were going to run Tokyo Dome in five years. Which, yeah. which builds up to the empty arena match they just held last week. That was the big payoff. <laughs> I love the fact that they, like, you know, if you've got, like, progress now, or, like, I, or like, you know, if you've got, like, a, a British company now, and they said, we're aiming to run um, the O2 in, uh, in, like, in two years' time, and we're going to run, like, Wembley in five years' time, people would laugh them off and go, no, you're not. Like, you know, you're still a very successful company, but there, there is a ceiling, there's a limit in terms of, you know, how much you can do. But DDT, really, yeah. I mean, for I, we've, we've spent the last hour reviewing a, a blow-up doll versus Kota Ibushi, and this same <laughs> company is now putting on shows in Budokan and Sumo Hall. And like, drawing six, seven, eight thousand crowds yeah, two, exactly. two, three times a year. Exactly. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, I just wanted to get your opinion on, you know, like, obviously you have all these, you know, comedy things that go on and, you know, but you also have the serious things that, like, they have a good balance about it. Do you feel that, like, you know, especially with the comedy things, do you think that that helps kind of garner an audience that wouldn't necessarily watch, you know, otherwise? I, I think so. Like, it's it's pretty much the tree the tree ring circus deal where you have a little bit of everything. I'd say a lot of it also just has to do with, um, they seem to be very open and... Like they know what they are, they're not ashamed of themselves. Mm. Like they're they're yeah. willing to have Dan Chokudino like molest uh, whatever <laughs> celebrity you want you can think of. Um, <laughs> but, but on on the other hand, like they've kind of become so welcoming that uh, people are now coming to them, wanting to work with them. Whereas mm-hmm. years ago, decades ago, it used to be you came to this company because the bigger companies rejected you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at yeah. the the old Japan. Um, uh, sumo Hall show from November. I mean that that the junior heavyweight match was between two DDT uh, wrestlers, yeah. and they were fighting over a title. The champion had won at a DDT show, so they are they're kind of going out of their way where you know they're allowing DDT now. Japan, you know, obviously they've not you know they're not the biggest focus in the junior heavyweights. Even in like the you know the nineties when you had like Liger and things like that in New Japan, you know it was it was basically Fuchi. Um, and Ogawa and, and Old Japan. Oh, Van Damme. Yeah, <laughs> so it's not always been a big focus, but still, you know, like Old Japan has always been a bit notorious. You know, like it's quite surprising to see them, you know, leasing out that belt and giving people the 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 autonomy to actually go and do something with the belt. You know, in DDT. Mm. Oh yeah, no, the, the belt was pretty much in DDT's hands for a three or four month period, I think. Mm, mm. That's, that's amazing. I mean, like, Abushi is a really shining example of this because I mean, the last couple of years he was doing the the, the dual contract thing where he, like he was so yeah. loyal to mm-hmm. DDT, but he knew that he was a big star and could be in New Japan, and you know, fe- you know, he was able to work that until you know he was the one who decided to leave. He, you know, who wasn't. Yeah, then, mm-hmm. I mean, I can't say this with much uh, confidence, but I'm convinced he was dragged kicking and screaming into signing that New Japan contract. Yeah. Mm. 
I mean, Ibushi strikes me, and we've, we've, I think we've touched upon this in uh, the early part of the episode, as someone who is, uh, he's, he's got, he's got a sort of mad professor vibe about him. He's, a, he's a very mm-hmm. free spirit. He, he's a man who, you know, mugged off uh, WWE to stand in an alleyway in Bethnal Green and shoot fireworks <laughs> all over himself, or you know, wrestle a man with a cube uh, with a frowny face drawn on it on his head. And for myself, as you know. As I've said before, um, me and Daniel are into very strange avant-garde, like experimental music and things like that. And to see somebody being able to go and do all these weird things and being able to just turn around and say, "No, I'm just doing this for the love of it. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to take the WWE offer because you know it'll be better money or anything like that. I want to do my own thing, and I'm not going to have let other people pressure it. And I really admire him for that, to be honest. Well, the crazy thing is, look at what he's done. By going that route, like he, yeah. he he's worked New Japan, he's worked Noah, he's worked Dragon Gate, he's worked, he's main evented Sumo Hall, he's main evented Budokan Hall, he's semi main evented Tokyo Dome, he wrestled in WWE, and this is all yeah. because of I don't know what who's making the decisions for him because it, I don't know if it's always him, but he's done almost every major accomplishment you can think of in in wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, like one thing I seem to distinctly remember from about the time when he was leaving, you know, DDT in New Japan, I seem to remember them talking about the reason that he kind of stayed with DDT is am I right in seeing they have like a modeling agency where they do, <laughs> where they do like I could be completely wrong on this, but I seem to remember they have like a sort of a modeling thing where they like you know how you get the calendars and things like that. I think they did like, the Abushi and Omega calendars for like you know, like because you have oh, like, yeah, they did a photo shoot, um, yeah, no, he. he... I know he's currently dealing with a. I think it's called Oscar Agency, but um, it's not just modeling. Like that's just a general celebrity uh, booking agency. So I, I think that's how he deals with his work now. So, so would would they get him? Kind of like um, we often see, kind of like Japanese uh, wrestlers, even kind of quite small time ones sometimes, like um, getting these bookings on these kind of weird Japanese game shows and, and things like that. Is that the kind of level of stuff they yes. they booking for? Or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I, I think there was a talk show that him and Sasadango Machine uh, appeared on just a few weeks ago, where he moonsaulted off of a ladder just to please the crowd. I've no idea what the actual show content <laughs> and, was, and, but. And I'm sure that's the kind of thing that that New Japan contract would have in some ways prohibited. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like... I hope Sasadango Machine had a PowerPoint presentation about the legalities <laughs> of this under a New Japan contract. <laughs> Maybe on his phone. He didn't have the laptop with him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Good. Exposing the business then. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, so that probably brings us to the point where I guess we've talked a little bit about the uh, the origins of DDT uh, and we've touched on a lot of stuff that's kind of happened in the promotion since and kind of the identity that they they kind of have now. But I guess as someone who watches a lot of DDT, or certainly more than we do, if you were just to explain to someone, uh, you know, where the company's at right now, uh, you know, what kind of a company it is, what to expect, what's a kind of like brief overview that you'd give someone that was looking at them with, you know, fresh eyes for the first time? It is arguably maybe the number three promotion in Japan right now. And it has so many fingers and so many pies. Because mm. um, the main shows that, you know, they run the uh, Kyokan Hall once a month, they run sumo hall twice a year. Um, they come up with these crazy stunts once every couple of months, where they do just wrestling in various locations. Yeah. And by you know they do an empty arena match. They wrestle on a train. They are wrestling in the campsite this September. But not only that, they also have a bunch of weird spin-off shows that kind of litter around the rest of Japan. So they 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 have their own show with, where all the handsome wrestlers appear on it, and the Is only that boys? people boys. Yes, it's the yeah. 
women only show where the only people allowed in the audience are women and it's like uh, all attractive men wrestling each other oh wow it's like the, it's like the inverse of the woman in the attitude era yeah, <laughs> except just women ogling men. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's that, and then you have a uh, uh, Basara, which is a uh, Sammy Kodaka's mm. spin-off motion, which is essentially trying to do like a uh, sleazy hardcore stuff. And then they have yeah. their own like a uh, idol wrestling uh, women's company, which just do local shows around Tokyo. And I think is there one more? They used to do a series of shows where it's just come and drink as much as you want while you watch wrestling, but I think they stopped doing them now. Is that the ones in the beer garden? Because I remember hearing about they used to do like shows every summer where they'd have like they block book a beer garden for a year, oh not a year, a week. Um, they do the same, but they they used they did like a similar idea show for uh, Shinkeeper for a string, which um <laughs> because they, oh the other thing that uh, DDT kind of excels at is they have a bunch of biz- side businesses as well that funds everything. So they have their own bars and restaurants around Tokyo, and the wrestlers are staffed and management for those bars. Cause, yeah, because I seem to remember, like um, with the the beer garden shows, the way that they do it is you charge everyone like a fiver uh, to get in. I think it's like five hundred yen or something like that, and then they um, like they, you get as much as you can drink. I think. Yeah, and they just sell, they get their money back by selling you beer, and they yeah. have barbecues and things like that. Mm-hmm. So like everyone buys all, you know, gets really drunk and wants to eat lots of barbecue and meat and all that, and they get all their money back from that. Uh, and it's it's good because all the the wrestlers are there as well. They, they yeah. kind of, you know, they all sit and drink meat with you and all that. I mean, it's a barbecue party. That's what it is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Actually. <laughs> One thing, when I was listening to that Chris Charlton interview, he'd read that um, Sanjiro Takagi had been enlisted in a, um, a a book of like Japanese businessmen that were going to propel Japan into the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said he found this really funny because it was the same. It was the same. Like, it was a day after. Um, he had a video go viral of him setting his pubic hair on fire, going "Jungle fire, jungle fire." <laughs> Japan is weird. Let's admit it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, like that. That's. I, I just love like thinking of like what the, the the sort of British equivalent of that might be. It'd be like you know, like some pretentious fud who's like starting a kind of like Uber style startup, like you know, like and he's just like setting his bollocks on fire in the middle of the like you know, fucking Clapham Common the next day or whatever. Can you imagine Mark Dallas? Or fucking, like, you know, Quilden from fucking Rev Pro. I mean, it essentially is Mark Dallas. Like, just imagine him running the hydro, and then later that night he's just kicking about in whatever pub down the road. Yeah, yeah. I I was going to say, like, imagine the people who who run Brewdog, like, burying themselves under 20 slates with weird post-ironic chalk graffiti on. Just, yeah. just for the sake of art. Like, well, actually, I wouldn't put it fucking past them. They'll probably give away free beers for it as well. Like, fucking anyway. Like, um, that's like. That's let's not get onto that. We'll be let's not get onto my Brewdog fucking fixation. That was one of the other things I wanted to ask, actually. So, um, we touched on this like very briefly um, before, but I think it's probably a good time to to ask it again. So, I kind of I kind of came to DDT through that Kenny Omega um, Ibushi match. Um, and then I kind of stayed um, uh, uh, through like uh, watching things back and watching clips that had gone like viral, like the Yoshihiko stuff and things like that, and kind of explored a bit more. But the one guy who really kind of um, kind of got me hooked a bit further to try and like explore matches that weren't just ones that had gone viral for like comedy reasons or things like that, but like the actual work in the matches um, was Harashima. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about him as well because for me, like uh, he's been 
probably one of the most underrated wrestlers in the world um, for the last maybe like five or six years. Um, I wondered maybe what your opinions were on him as a worker and how you would describe his role in the company for those who've never seen him work before. He is essentially DDT's John Cena, and by that I mean like he carries the company on his back. Uh, he's always relied on to be the main eventer whenever they're mm. in trouble. Uh, even not like on his own two feet, like he is uh, established as the biggest star in the company. Uh, arguably with Ibushi, but since Ibushi is no longer here, Hashim is the top mm. dog. He's master of all trades kind of wrestler. Like you can put him in with anyone, and he can get a good match out of them. Um, the weird thing is, uh, the reason he's underrated is because he rarely wrestles outside of DDT. He is a very private. Yeah. He's a very private person. Uh, there's not much information about his personal life online, and. Mm. I just assume that uh, he's just very happy in the position he's in right now and where he does outside gigs. Mm. It's it's interesting you actually he's a very private person because funnily enough, like one of the that role in Japan um, and that's almost quite specifically Japanese role in some ways of, of the company Ace mm-hmm. um, is obviously one that Misawa used to inhabit for all Japan and he famously, I think, um, uh, uh, when he died, there were several wrestlers who thought they were fairly close to him in the dressing room. He didn't even know that he had a family. So he'd never even spoken about them at all. So like you know, there is a kind of tradition in Japan, I guess, of uh, you know uh, aces maybe being a bit private about their private lives. You know. So that's interesting. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, another example I can think of uh, was Tanahashi. He kept his uh, marriage secret for three years before he went out with it. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. Like, uh, you know, so yeah, that's uh, maybe it's like this. I'm probably just projecting on a culture I know nothing about, but like, you know, maybe it's like uh, this idea of like the, the stoic sort of baby face that, that, you know, keeps himself quite guarded and is just like a, you know, uh, low level tough guy. But yeah, that's me. Just well, I mean, in this case, like, Hiroshima's character is, uh, you know, work hard and uh, you get reap yeah. rewards. Like, why am I so good? Because I practice is kind of the yeah. loose translation of his uh, catchphrase. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that as well because it's like it's it, it's kind of it, it's it's it both makes him come across as like an incredibly kind of respectable uh, you know admirable admirable guy, but it's also kind of you know it feels as if it's not quite out of reach of the everyman as well. Like you know, if you just try and work hard, you know, like um, it's probably bullshit, but like yeah, I like that that notion in in, in kayfabe, you know. Yeah, it's the same thing as um you know uh, Dave, David Beckham, much as like some people might not have a huge amount of time for him. He was real good at hitting a dead ball because he just stayed back <laughs> after practice for a couple of hours, set up the like crash test defensive wall dummies and just practiced. And yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's such a classic sort of baby face sort of yeah. ideology, isn't it? Like, Oh no, I'm, I'm no more talented than any of you. I just work hard and say, say my yeah, yeah. and took my vitamins, brother. Yeah. Exactly. But like, what I really like about Harishima though, in all his matches that I see is that, he all, despite all that, he manages to bring this incredible kind of fire. Like yep. he has some of the best comeback, like flurries and, and and like comeback sequences that I think I've seen in a babyface. Uh, well, when he's working that way for a long time, like you know. Um, and I, I I just I just love his matches for that. I mean, maybe Jamie, you could um you could recommend some uh, Harashima matches maybe for people that have never seen him work before that would be maybe good introductions uh, to a guy that uh, we are, are all in agreement is a really good worker. Um, the number one match I'd recommend, at least that happened recently, is uh, him, himself and uh, Shikahiro Irie from uh, December 25th last year. Uh, personally, that was mm. my match of the year. Just an incredible back and forth battle between the two. Maybe in hindsight that match might be better showcase for Irie, but um, it kind of shows you uh, just how... Just why Hashima is positioned, positioned the way he is in that match. Um, yeah. What else could I do? There was a six-man tag match that happened, I think... Uh, let, let me just see the date. It might have been 2015 when they first ran the Saitama Super Arena. But there was a Kyokan match where it was 
um, Ibushi, Daisuke Sekimoto, and Yuji Okabayashi against Hiroshima, oh. Konosuke Takashita, and Tatsuya Endo. So th- this was the, th- this was the uh, go home match before the uh, Saitama Super Arena show in was it twenty fifteen I think. The other thing I was going to say is that um, again DDT being a little bit under the radar in the same way that this Omega Ricarda match. Uh, and people saying, "Oh, I thought uh, I thought sixty minute uh, Broadways were a, a thing of the past, whereas you know Endo and Takashita have one." Um, I think this year. So yeah, it just happened in April, I think. Uh... Was that not like? Cause I, oh, because no, that, that, that was the the second uh, Broadway match that I've still not watched yet. That people keep saying I should watch because the other one was the um, was it in the CWF and Atlantic, the Trevor Lee one. Yeah, the ninety minute one. Was that with uh, Alec Royal? Is that the one? Or I, I think so. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, I've, which, I've, even though I love CWF and Atlantic, and I, I think they're a great promotion, I've still not got around to watching it yet because these days my attention span's like really bad, and like a ninety minute match is gonna take me out of it. But yeah, one day I'm gonna watch these two matches. I swear. I, I think the next question um, we would have, like we've talked about, um, uh, like the you know the, the the top performers in the company, uh, Ibushi and Hiroshima. Um, changing tack a little bit, uh, who is your favorite uh, non-human performer? on the DDT roster, because um, back in the um, at the st- start of this episode, what we did, because um, obviously you haven't listened to it yet, because it's not on the airwaves, um, is we did a rundown of the Kota Ibushi-Yoshihiko match. And basically at the start, I just put over Yoshihiko as this underrated, amazing high flyer, like easily the equivalent of Will Ospreay or uh, Ibushi <laughs> or Ricochet. And we did the entire recap of the match as though um, Yoshihiko was a, a real boy. I mean, you know, and there's a that is the joke. we made there in that, um, as you said before, DDT, it admits what it is and it presents all this sort of wacky stuff on the level. So there's a serious point to be made in that you can treat Ibushi versus a blow-up doll just the same as you would treat you a Noah main event or an All Japan main event or something like that. So I was just wondering um, uh, your favourite non-human members of the DDT roster throughout the years. Well, the legendary one was the ladder that won the Iron Man <laughs> Championship and then had its own retirement ceremony um, that had a, a farewell message from the Zero One roster. So they somehow joined in. Um, oh, brilliant. Now, a, a lot of it is uh, Iron Man Championship related because that's where all the jokes came from. Yeah. But... Uh, they once did a string of title changes that were the entire recipe set for Koi. So, so here's what happened. Um, the champion was a table, and as the referee was looking after this table, he, was, <laughs> he went to the loo. A chef came in, placed the bowl down on the table. The ref came back, one, two, three, new champion. He went again, went, went off. Chef came in, started putting in rice, one, two, three, new champion. The chef then put on uh, meat, one, two, three, new champion. And then another wrestler just came in, took the, started eating it. The ref said it was a submission, and he became the new champion after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, like, I think just even in just, like, the last sort of few minutes, I think we've probably given a pretty good... Um, like, uh, you know, uh, overview with talking about, like, you know, uh, a couple of people that we genuinely think are, like, these, like, seriously underrated, like, amazing, uh, almost quite traditional style workers, mm-hmm. and what we've just spoken about. Like, what you said before about this is a company that has its fingers in lots of pies, both in a business sense, but also in the way they book as well. And that pie How is do you... probably won the Iron Man title at some point. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, Jamie, I guess, like, um, for anyone that, because there are people obviously out there who are very traditionalist in the way that they watch wrestling and want their comedy to be, if it's there at all, 
quite a small part of of the show. Do you think that in general this is a company that gets the the balance right, or sometimes do you think there's there's sort of cards where you think it's been too big of a jump from one thing to the other, or, or does it just come across as quite organic? No, no. Um... In most recently, in the last few years, it's been more organic. Uh, DDT's attention has been more mm. for the main event matches, which are just played completely straight. So um, the the, yeah. cha- the KOD Championship uh, is pretty much all the serious matches all the time. Um, mm. The comedy mm. stuff is usually it will show up, it'll show up once in a while, but uh, it's mostly the semi main event at most. But it'll be so it'll be yeah. lower down on the card. Love the comedy stuff like you know, and Choku Dino, Dino and. Uh, a lot of that nonsense, but uh, no, no. Well, actually, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, one thing I was going to say, I mentioned about Dan Chocodino. I'll, I'll, you know, obviously, we'll talk about him a bit more later. But I mean, we mentioned this before. Like, the thing is, is that the, all the comedy characters in DDT, as we mentioned in, in the podcast earlier, is if they're given a KOD like heavyweight title match, they, they really excel and they, they can bring it. Like that that Dan Chocodino Shuji Ashikawa match from last year. Dan Chocodino really brought it and had a really really good match while still keeping true what what he is and you know the, the comedy mm-hmm. gimmick well yeah i mean th- that that kind of goes to the point in which when it comes to the cha- main championship itself it's mostly serious all the time and uh, mm-hmm. if yeah. if a comedy character does get a chance to get that shot like they try to milk the drama as much as they can yeah. mm-hmm. which makes sense you know yeah yeah and, and, and in itself weirdly kind of conversely is actually quite a traditional wrestling like booking trope right like i mean that's that's basically mikey whitbrook's running ecw mm-hmm. right yeah i mean like the first ever ddt show i watched in full was i, I remember the date i can't remember the name of the show it was uh, february 15th 2015 like the entire undercard was wacky stipulation matches cool little ideas it was all strange in in some way shape or form and then the last two matches were uh, the main event was harishima versus ibushi and the semi-main was uh, Happy Motels versus uh, Strong BJ, which always always makes me laugh for obvious reasons. Yeah, but and, yeah. the six-man tag I mentioned audio was to build up to those two matches. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's yeah. The, that was the Saitama Super Arena show in the... There was a side building they used for that event. Yes, that's right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it was basically yeah. like a big hangar, and there was just like rows and rows of seats as far as the eye could see. It was a pretty cool... Uh, Pretty cool little venue, but like the la- those last two matches, they were just like completely serious and just like real high quality wrestling. And I think the fact that DDT does these strange comedy matches, as you say, it, it does obscure the fact um, that they are actually real competent uh, technical workers as well, and just really all round talented wrestlers. Yeah, because I mean, you look at the there was that uh, the Samurai Warriors tie in a couple of months ago. Yes, where it was some of this match where it was like. Muto Akiyama in it. Yes. Sammy Kodaka, Bushi, and um, who's the sixth one? Some somebody. I mean, it's something like it wasn't a comedy character, in it. but I mean, like they're all like very serious, legit. And you know, you look at that card, and without any, you know, without any shenanigans, that is a fantastic. You know, that's a match you want to see, just because you've got lots of great talent, and you know that they'll be able to string together a really, really good match. But the fact that they then decided to tie in with samurai warriors by giving them all <laughs> samurai warriors <laughs> costumes and basically played it all as if this was like um a literally a level from samurai warriors um and the build-up and things <laughs> like that 
I mean, it was great. And you see all the still photos and things of that of, like, you know, Muto in his samurai gear, you know, challenge, like stepping up against somebody else. And you just, they've been able to take that and it's really interesting, makes you want to see it and it can still be a good match. But they, they kind of, they have a really good blend of, you know, serious and not so serious and where to use it, which I don't think WWE or even sometimes like, like um, New Japan and things like that, you know, they, they, they can get it wrong sometimes, but DDT tends to hit the mark most of the time. I mean, I, I think because DDT has that comedy background, they can get mm. away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. and also they... Because whenever um, Dunlului does comedy uh, nowadays, things like they do things like um, the fashion files, you know, Tyler Breeze and Fandango, which is, is genuinely really funny stuff. Yep. And the reason yeah, it works so well is because, A, the writing is mysteriously good by Dunlului standards, and B, <laughs> they don't have um, a commentary team either, one, fake laughing over it, or two sort of giving it the side eye and sort of not committing as if they try to have to prove to the audience that they're too cool. As if they're above it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, oh, don't, don't worry. We're not really like, um, we're not really doing this stupid thing. You know, we're, we're a, a credible multi-million dollar company. And that just completely undermines the whole comedic foundation of it if the writing hadn't uh, done that already. Whereas, yeah, DDT, it's got this comedy background. It knows what it is. And it doesn't. It doesn't try and appear like too too post ironic about it. I guess. Mm. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the yeah. the other thing uh, we wanted to ask about we've um, we've talked about the uh, sort of the wacky uh, stipulations um, and uh, DDT. We've talked about the Iron Man Heavy Metal Weight Championship. Uh, DDT also has a belt called the DDT Extreme Title, which um, is always contested uh, via uh, stipulation matches. Of some stripe, so I've got a couple of favourites, but I was just wondering, Jamie, what uh, your particular most memorable mad stipulation matches for the DDT Extreme Title were? The no, no DQ Iron Man match. Yes, <laughs> is is incredible. That was my. That was going to be my choice. I I, I love it so much. Yes. So for, for oh, the listeners at home, this was yeah, a. Yeah. <laughs> this was Danchoku Dino defending the title against Koo, which was Shuji Ishikawa's uh, masked gimmick. And the idea was, for 10 minutes, the slightest breaking of the rules was an instant disqualification. So the realisation was, every everything you take for granted in wrestling, the closed punches, the hair pulling, the rope breaks, they now suddenly meant something. Yeah. So every time they tried to wrestle the match as normal, the ref would just step in and call for the bell because, you know, Shuji was grabbing Dino by the hair or grabbing him by the neck. So it got to the point in which they were trying to be very careful with their moves to make sure they didn't get disqualified. Mm. That's that's yeah. such a cool yeah. idea. Like, um, I mean, I think there's a there's a few I really liked. There was um, the uh, total count match, um, which was uh, Akito oh. versus oh, fuck who was it? Um, Shio Yashahi. Yes, that's right. Equals X. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was that's just a really cool little idea, like an Iron Man match where you get a point for every count that the ref's hand makes on your opponent. Uh, that's just a, yep. that's just a really neat idea. Um, it's a very clever idea for sure. Yeah. yeah. And mm. um mm. oh the um the the light tube on match. Oh, that was the one I was going to mention. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew it was. That's why I got in first. And um, that was a key oh, yeah. well. bastard. It's if, if you, when you think of light tubes, you think of really grim, you know, like BGW matches or like CZW and somebody's farm and everybody's got Hep C and things like that and it's all awful and everybody's going to die of cancer from all the dust. 
But in this one, there was only one light tube. And it was played like a sort of Laurel and Hardy style slapstick. In fact, it was the Chuckle Brothers. That's what it was. <laughs> because yeah. they... I'm actually trying to think, was there to me, to you spotting that match now, now that you mentioned yeah. it? Yeah, that's, that's what I was trying been. to think of, yeah. But like, the whole idea was, if they broke the light tube, um, they, if, if they, like, so for example, if they body slam somebody through it, they would win because that guy's broken the light yeah. tube. But similarly, if they miss and fall into it or they drop it and it smashes, they lose because they were the instigator of it breaking. And it was an, iron te- an entire 10, 15 minute match of them trying not to break this, but also similarly. It's great as well. Like, it's genuinely full of so much tension, it is. that match. It is. Like, it's like, like almost like Hitchcockian <laughs> tension. Like, you know, it's like, it's really like. <laughs> edge of the seat stuff you know exactly like, i think a lot of people who would like who, who are really into wrestling things like that a lot of people dismiss these sort of matches because you know they're just like oh, it's just stupid comedy they're just pissing about but well, with akito when he had the championship like he had so many clever ideas for matches um such as that and uh, there was another match he had where there was no rope breaks so every pin and submission attempt not like it they it created a lot of inventive submission moves trying to use the ropes for leverage yeah and then yeah. there, was, there was like a last man standing match he had with EOEA, which was fantastic as well. As well. Uh, the date escapes me now, but like if you are trying to see the kind of more serious side of DDT, Akito's Extreme Championship reign is a good place to start. I would have to say, yeah. uh, I loved Akito's reign, but I would have to say it's probably my second favourite reign with the uh, Extreme title. And my first favourite reign is quite a recent one. And it's uh, someone we've it's actually... It's Cash, isn't it? Yeah, it is someone we've mentioned on oh, episodes four and six, <laughs> where all his stipulations were matches... It was like it's basically like the Dario Cueto thing in Lucha Underground, where he believes he's come up with these like really inventive ideas, and they're just normal match. I was like, get. It's like you can imagine him puffing on a reef going, get this, dudes. It's a one-on-one match, <laughs> but there's a third man in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey guys, what if we just like just stay here, man? <laughs> like... Well, what was that one where it's just like it's an MMA rules match, but like you can't use like chokes and you win by pin or submission. <laughs> Yes, no, I, I think they said it was a PWF world. Like, what, what was the the world set used oh, in the nineteen sixties? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Pacific Rest, as in, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I wasn't sure if you meant that or like PWFG, yeah. but like, yeah, yeah. The PWF, um, George, you're good on this. PWF was like the administrative body it's, for yeah, the, um, all Japan. Yeah, it was the kayfabe um, governing right. council, as IWGP is to New Japan. Yeah. Yeah. But it was that. But would whatever extra modern world sets included. Yeah. Yeah. Was there not one where it was like we're going to have a normal one-on-one match, but we're both going to have a partner yep. on the apron so we can tag in at any point? <laughs> that happened. Yeah. Match, Kendall. Um, probably the probably the best thing Kendall Cashin has ever done, apart from that weird match with Anita that um, when he was dressed as a panda, which was just incredible. But uh like it's, it's such a daft rain. But yeah, like I like the fact that they have like. Because for, for ages, I thought the Extreme title and the Iron Man were one and the same, just because I, I kind of blurred them together because they were both at wacky, you know, sometimes wacky stipulations. But, um, yeah, like, you know, I like the fact that they have, like, a match that he still has these weird stipulations, but it's still it's in the proper confines of a match. You know, you have to fight them in a match. You can't just go and win at any time and have all the wacky reigns like Scott Hall be, reading a piece of paper saying, I quit. Uh, to lose the title and things like that. Like I like the fact that they have it where they have another creative outlet, but it's not 
overbaiting. It's not the entire promotion. Well, it allows them to kind of change the point of the championship whenever they want. So it can be the hardcore yeah. championship or the technical wrestling championship or the comedy championship or even just whatever else they think of. So um, this was just because um, DDT is one of you know, the most well-known of the sort of more out there promotions in Japan nowadays. Um, what I was going to say is how would you... Uh, compare it to um, probably the other well-known one, which would be Hustle. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I think the thing is, like, DDT was crazy with the match stipulations. Hustle was crazy with the storylines. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah. like, Hustle was the fighting opera, and it was the soap opera, and um, I really got into that by uh, the end of it, because what was the storyline they did? Uh, was it... Uh, what's his name? Wataru Sakura? It was him and his wife used the shield to prevent... Uh, Takeda from shooting a laser or something like that. Did you remember this? No, no. By any chance, did any of you watch Hustle? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, because I'm still, I'm still looking for um, a best of compilation of the entire Akimbono birth. Oh, Jesus egg this is this is literally the third time we have like, mentioned this fucking Akimbono yeah. hatching from an egg in this podcast. It really yeah, was one of the if, best if, things if, they ever did, to be honest. Honestly, if there's any, if there's anyone out there that has cut together just the, all the angles in a, in a kind of best of, I, I will, I will pay good no, money it, for this. His like, thing, like, you know, Yinling like, had a retirement show, and people were in tears at the end of it. Wow, <laughs> that's how <laughs> that's that how attached so people were to that uh, thing. That, that's not a proper great. name. Her proper name is Yingling, the erotic tennis. <laughs> I was just going to say, let's let's not let's not undersell it. People were in tears at the time of someone called Yingling, the erotic terrorist. Oh, I, I think I think you are right though. And Kawada didn't he once appear on an angle where he travelled for time and space to beat the shit out of Taichi? <laughs> I, I wish I wish I could. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who wish you could do that now, but I mean, he's he's number one in my match of the year list at the moment, so I can't fucking. That is true, actually. No. Yeah. Taiji versus Takamichi Noku is an absolute classic, and I will fight anyone IRL who decides it's not. I've still I've still not seen that yet, but I need to badly. That's a very DDT sort of match, actually. It is. actually. You know how people said that Jerry Lawler. He could have a great wrestling match with just one move. He could just do punching, and he could have a great ma- yeah, um, yeah. match. Taka versus Taiji proves you don't even need any moves to have a great no, match. Yeah. Literally nothing. They do nothing for six minutes. They just dodge each other. There's literally no moves in it, and it's and uh, you're right. It's very DDT. I actually would. It's kind of expect- it's kind of a Andy Kaufman esque. Like you, you know that famous yeah. thing where Kaufman just stood on stage for six minutes and so- told yes. jokes. <laughs> Sounds a lot like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Just to bring it back to the, the Memphis connection again. Yeah. I, I don't think that um, New Japan probably would have done a match like that, particularly in, you know, Best of the Super Juniors, which is a very prestigious tournament. I don't think they would have done a match like that without the popularity of groups like DDT, showing that, that there is a viable market for this sort of quite outside the box thinking in terms of match structure. But mm. possibly, like, they've had some weird offshoots in the past. Uh, like, I know where uh, Kikotaro entered the tournament one year. Yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back when he was Ebersan, I, I think. Love, I love Kikotaro. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone does, man. Like he's like one of the most universally adored figures in, in wrestling, right? Like you meet someone that's like, if you ever meet someone that like wasn't into him, you'd be kind of suspicious. I think of their moral fiber. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, like it's like I'm not, I don't trust you, and I don't want to go for a drink with you. <laughs> like you know, like. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did spend an hour discussing Ibushi versus Yoshihiko, but we didn't really get your thoughts on it. 
I was just wondering, mm. like, you know, obviously it's probably been a while since you've watched it, but, I mean, what were your overriding opinions with it? I think it's proof to uh, the theory that you can have a four-star match with a paper bag. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you always heard yeah. us talk about how, you know, Ric Flair was so amazing that he could, you know, wrestle a broom to a four-star match. Like, this is literally it. it. Yeah. Like, this is what Ibushi yeah. did. He took an inanimate object, made people believe in it, and had a bloody entertaining match in the process. And that's the thing, he made people believe in it. Like, because the crowd are so into it, so the commentators. And that's the thing, like, as you said about WWE, where they kind of do the side eye or they kind of smirk and do fake laughing. There's no fake laughing or sort of mock, you know, contempt from the the, hmm. the, the announcers with this. They are, they, are in, like, they are in for the ride of everybody else. And it really sells hmm. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think the thing is with it as well is that even to this day now, like, you know, years after it took place, I think two days ago, um, some, um, you know, random kind of, uh, you know, sports news uh, or one of these generic like Facebook pages um, posted a video of it again saying, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, wrestler versus, um, you know, blow up doll. And I had several friends who, um, who who are my friends, but like, you know, they know I'm into wrestling, but they're not into it. So we don't really talk about it much. Tagging me underneath saying like, what the fuck have you seen this? <laughs> like, you know, and, and, and but I love that because like it actually gives me a really good in to be able to say people. Like, to say to people, look, uh, you'll probably not watch any of the wrestling matches that I recommend because you don't like wrestling, but you've obviously been hooked by this one. Just watch the match and then tell me afterwards that, like, the act of being a professional wrestler isn't an incredibly skilled, <laughs> complex, you know, it's way beyond Because to, to actually be able to have that match, as you've just said, just demonstrates, like, what everyone has said previously. Like, if you're a really great pro wrestler... You know, it's not just that you're in there co- cooperate with someone else. You might be cooperating with someone else that brings fuck all to the table <laughs> and you've still got to get out a great match out of them. And that's what I love about this match. I can say to people, you know, say what you want about pro wrestling, but you can never not have the utmost respect for the people that are really good at it because this shows that, you know, um, how, how difficult it is. So I like that. It's an in to be able to get people sort of hooked on why wrestling's great to me. The comparison that I make is, you know you get those shows at RoodTube where they show like the 100 best like viral videos and it's all like, oh, yeah, like yeah. people jumping off buildings and sure. shit and like parkour and <laughs> dance and, and you yeah. know, people doing the hustle and all that and you're like, you know, like and people, you'll always get every so often you'll get people posting it on Facebook. That, that you know, that's what essentially... You know, wrestling at its heart, it's the exact same as all those. Like, you know, we see people doing massive stunt jumps, and you're like, wow, mm. that's amazing. It's the exact same for like wrestling, you know, in terms of, you know, appreciating the athleticism and the actual, you know, the mental gymnastics that goes yeah. into actually doing something like that. It's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And I think those matches like this are a really good in, as you said, because you can kind of show people, look, somebody did this with a blow up doll, you know. <laughs> As you said, I think you mentioned this in the podcast. Can you imagine what it would be like if instead of a blow-up doll, it was another guy who was equally as as passionate and wanted to get this over, you know, as the mm-hmm. other guy? Like, yeah, it's a great end. I'm still holding out for Yoshihiko against Ken the Box, but like, you know, <laughs> we can all we can all dream. We'll save that for the survival to beat episodes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mecha <laughs> Mummy special guest enforcer, but like Mike Tyson at WrestleMania 14. <laughs> um, oh, please make that happen. <laughs> what is is there any other questions you want to ask? Because I have one, and I feel they're going to have to unpack it for a bit, and I feel it's going to lead to a lot of um, people giving us abuse on Twitter. So... <laughs> right. Well, I've I've pretty much asked all the questions that that, that yeah, I had. So uh, yeah, if, if if you've got a big one that you think can finish things off, then maybe it's a good time to ask it. Yeah. So yeah, um, <laughs> Dan Shockadino. 
Yeah. I mean, we let let let's let's be honest here, right? No, I no, we don't we don't know Jamie. He's he's sitting on audio, right? He's he's sitting on audio. We don't have a picture of his face or anything like that. But let's be honest here, right? It's uh-huh. three, maybe four white guys sitting here <laughs> talking yeah. about, uh, you know, <laughs> three British, one Irish. Yep. Three British, one Irish yeah. talking about a Japanese gimmick regarding sexuality. Now I'm. You know, I am. You know, I'm straight. I'm married. George, you know, has girlfriends. Yeah, I have one you know, girlfriend currently. <laughs> you have one girlfriend currently. Keyword currently. Currently, exactly. Yeah. You do a wrestling podcast. It's never a given. <laughs> um, Daniel, as we've learned in the last seven episodes, is a massive pervert. <laughs> <laughs> true that. True that. Yeah, and 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 not entirely straight to boot. So yeah, like this is. Let's be honest. For myself, a bit of a minefield. So I want <laughs> Jamie to kind of just try and explain. You a want bit. me to run across that minefield? <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. I want you to yeah. be the minesweeper, basically. Yeah. T- t- take <laughs> t- take a hit for us, Jamie. Go on. <laughs> okay. Um. All I can say is that it, Japan doesn't have a problem with it. I mean, mm. that, that's the thing. Like, uh, it, like you know, this is a gimmick where it's a gay man molesting his opponents. Um. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like, and it's just. Yeah, go ahead. When I was listening to Chris Charlton, he was saying that like at DDT shows, before he comes out, they have an announcement over the tannoy saying, Dan Chocodino is coming out. Dan Chocodino is an, a gay man. He is sexually aggressive. If you are on like, the front row, if you're near him, he may try and molest you. He may try and grab your genitalia. He might try and pinch your arse. And they just say that. He says, if you don't want that, leave. And then you know, Get out of the splashes, home. Yeah, and like you know, you you know, he can't get to you because you're too far away. And they have this before everyone to say. Obviously, we don't know because it it's in Japanese, but they you know they warn them saying like this is this this is his shtick. If you're offended by it, you know, kind of stay, stay away. If you don't want to get touched, he's going to try and touch you, so stay away. Yeah, no, I think just um like uh, Takagi has brought this up in an interview, and it's just like no one has ever complained about it. They don't have a problem with it in Japan. And the other thing is, like, Dino is one of the most beloved characters to come out of that company. Mm. Like, he's been there mm. since, uh, what, 2006, I think? Yeah. And, mm. like, he, like, he is essentially the mascot of the company yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know, like, for me, I think it's, like, with with stuff like this, it's, it's, it's ultra-complicated, as you say. Now, from my perspective, uh, I would compare it um, a little bit like um, in 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 this country, um, before he started actually be becoming quite uh, a a kind of right on um, uh, character that was using some of the um, criticisms that he'd had to kind of like widen his his character. There was like Jack Sexsmith, for example. Yeah. Now it's it's difficult because, as I say, Jack Jack Sexsmith has almost become this kind of like um, this like symbolic figure where he's managed to get support from people that maybe you know had like no idea what um a pansexual man was before they saw him wrestle but also there's parts of his gimmick which as i say for someone like myself like can be quite problematic as well because like oh, no, you know, when, when he started out he was just he was doing the exact same yeah, thing i was yeah. doing yeah exactly yeah so it's it's a very it's a it's kind of a thin line you know from between these things because on the one hand i get kind of a little bit I'm not entirely sure that because a lot of the criticism like that Jack Sexsmith would have would be, well, he's essentially carrying out, you know, um, what are kayfabe, um, you know, um, um, sex act against people that, again, um, in kayfabe don't have their consent. And does this just come back to emphasizing all these ridiculous um, kind of outdated notions that anyone that isn't straight is therefore a kind of degenerate sex pest? Um, 
I'm not doing very well at holding up that end of the bargain, to be honest, <laughs> but myself, I'm kind of, but, but you know, <laughs> like, apart from me, like, uh, you know, so it's kind of a, a, a really awkward thing to kind of uh, bridge, I guess, but there are, you know, um, there are certainly things that I have seen um, that have taken place in, in DDT, which, as you say, they're not that different to the way that, um, that, that Jack Sexsmith does things. And I do sometimes worry that are we, you know, again, being people that know nothing about that culture, that are saying, well, you know, Jack Sexsmith, Jack Sexsmith can do these things in, in our promotions, and that's kind of okay because he's cool now. But, you know, um, it, so it, it is super awkward. And I think the only way you can really properly resolve it is if we had some contacts with, like, um, LGBTQ wrestling fans from Japan um, who would be able to give us their, their opinion on it, you know? So, yeah. I think the only other thing is that the times Dino has come to America, he slightly toned it down a bit, but, you know, he still mm. does do, you know, kiss into the pile driver finisher. But um, yeah. other than that, yeah. like, I have no idea how the crowds will take to him if he was to ever wrestle in America or Europe. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I have no idea. I mean, him versus, yeah, uh, him versus Jack Sexsmith has actually been cited as a bit of a dream match in this country. Mm. I could see I could see XWA doing it, actually, in, in London, because they've oh, brought actually. in people, like, they've brought in Ibushi, they're bringing in... Um, yeah, I don't know how they did that. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, it's crazy. They've brought in Timo came out and uh, Sekimoto this year, or they are going to bring them in. Um, so that's that's a strange one. I mean, the, the thing I would say about Dino is I've... Yeah, I, I my prevailing opinion on him was oh fuck that's a bit much but then i read um a book which i think is probably the best academic book on uh, professional wrestling which is um the world of lucha libre by uh, heather levy which is a, oh, it's a really really good book and um she does a chapter yeah. on um exoticos in uh, in mexican mm-hmm. wrestling and about how in one sense this um reinforces uh, stereotypes of of homosexual men in mexico but on the other hand um, it sort of it it subverts them by painting them as heroic figures, and that's the thing. Like Dan Shikadino yeah. is um, he is a gay character uh, in Japan, a country where being gay is not almost is not always you know, the easiest thing. But at the same time, he is a mega overface who is, as you said, the mascot of the company. Yeah. Mm, well, yeah. I remember in the uh, the recent the the angle they did an angle where they had Donald Trump. Uh, on, on take over yeah. DDT, and I remember watching the promo with the for the anus explosion match. I can't believe I'm yeah. saying these words, but I am. Yeah. Um, where they had like obviously a PowerPoint presentation because it was super sassy angle machine about this anus um explosion match, and like the whole idea was it was going to be Dan Shockadino versus somebody, and it was and it, it was him and Joey Ryan. That figures. But they, I remember at one point they said that they, to use like it was something about Dan Shrokodino's strengths and weaknesses, and one of the weaknesses was the deep shame that his mother and father feel about his life decisions. And he, Fucking hell! And he burst, <laughs> and he burst out laughing. Right, he burst out laughing and went, "Yes, they are deeply ashamed." I and mean, he's clearly not holding it together. He was just completely losing it, and it was so funny. And he kind of. Like, cause I've seen video. I've I've listened to people like Michelle Jean Kane. She goes to quite a lot of the DDT shows, and she's quite you know she knows quite a lot about it as well. And she yeah. said that she's spoken yeah. to Dino a bit, um, about it. And he is very coy, and like he doesn't really give that much away. Which you know it could be half you know you know try to keep the mysticism up. It could be half you know he genuinely isn't that asked about it, and he just says no. It's a you know it's a character he plays, and then that's it, and it's the but like, uh, there is definitely like a, a good investigation, like a documentary waiting to be done on him because I feel that would be yeah. a crap and watch. 
uh, to see somebody mm. who could yeah. do it. I mean, obviously, his limited English is yeah. not going to help. I almost wonder if that could happen someday. I pretty much feel it will at some point because I feel that yeah, there's a story to be to be told. Yeah, I'm sure. not taking our own our own horn or anything when I see this, but I mean, like there are people who are you know reviewing this. There's other people who are interested in this. People do talk about this, and there's not really there's a lot of questions out there about it that have not really been answered. And to be honest, the only person that can answer them is Dino. But I mean, it's sort of like when you get. Mm. I mean, especially like the the exoticos. I mean, you look at like Maximo and things like that. I I mean, I yeah. I loved Maximo. Uh, Cassandro as well. Yeah, really. isn't uh, was it a documentary yeah. about him a few years ago? Yes, you've done one as well about him on the radio as well. Yeah, I think it's Radio Four. Yeah, um, and yeah, it was, yeah. And, like you you see them like Maximo like, in the Fantastic Mania. I remember seeing a lot of people on like I mean, if you frequent the Facebook Japanese pro wrestling groups, people going. Maximo is a disgrace to wrestling. He should just spit in the mat because that's what he's doing with his actions and all that. And I'm like, oh, shut up, like, man! Like, yeah, up, like, go go back home and wank off over your fucking like million time dubbed old copies of Luthers matches. You fucking losers! Like, do you know what I mean? Like, just again, it goes like, back to DDT and that you, you know, like DDT have these comedy things and there is a market for them. It's not to everybody's taste, but you know what? Not everything's to Matthias as well. And like, you know. I think people will have mock outrage about it, but I also feel that WWE have a part to play in this. Not necessarily their representation yeah. of like you know, uh, sexual orientation things like that. But what I mean is that like as you said before, when they have comedy, they they don't play it mm. for they don't play it for real. They always have you know like sniggers and all that over it, and it's really bad quite a lot of the times. And I think mm. that people now have this pre you know preconception about comedy wrestling that it's going to be bad. Because it's it's not like mm. work right, and because they're so used to in WWE for being real bad, which it isn't all the time. I mean, I say I've said it before, I'll say it again. That Fandango, the Sunburn, the Sunburn match. match between Golden Truth and Febreze <laughs> is a fucking oh, incredible yeah. match. Um, and that's a match I can imagine happening in yes, DC actually. Absolutely, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like, you can see yeah. things like that permeating all over the place, and. Yeah, like, with Dan Choco Dino, it's... I mean, the one where he had... The match with Jun Kasai, I mean, that was... That, even I was a bit odd when he stopped the... What, what was it? Was it the, the Kenzans? Oh, the, yeah. the weird yeah. long stuck, stick thing. Yeah. up yeah. his arse and all that, and I'm like, Jesus. Fucking hell! Yeah! Yeah, that's... I was thinking, but it's kind of like... Like, that, that, that literally that, was its gimmick taken to That's very Cannibal extreme, Holocaust. Uh, that well, exactly, but that's <laughs> it is. the logical yeah. conclusion of a deathmatch wrestler against Dan Shokodino. Dan Shokodino gets his comeuppance and, you know, he's groped the ungropable. He's, you know, he's, bit, he's groped more than he can chew. <laughs> and, like... Right, that's the episode there right there, groped the ungropable. <laughs> I don't know, I'm rambling at this point. I like Dino. There is lots of problematic things, especially like in the apartment match. Like he, There is no way around it. He has a predatory <laughs> gay rapist. That, that, yeah. It's not really a way around yes. it. And it's kind of... It's no. like to how you view these sort of things as to how much you can go with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the thing with that kind of stuff is that I would say to anyone that's, like, um, that's listening to this, um, you know, if you watch uh, Dino's stuff and you're not into it because of that, like, it's, that's totally yeah. okay, it's yeah. understandable, like, I mean, uh, the, as I say, me personally, there are parts of it that I, that I do sometimes feel a little bit uncomfortable yeah. about, um, you know, but again, 
uh, I think that even if you do feel uncomfortable about it, and even if you're offended by it, which it's your right to be, um, the, the best thing to do, in my opinion, is to be able to kind of analyze it within the tradition that it's from, right? So we were talking about the, um, the Exoticos before. Um, and, you know, when you have stuff like Fantastic Mania matches and people just say, oh, this comedy shit, what's that about? It's like, well, that's a fundamental part of, like, Mexican luchador history, right? And to not have that represented on a Fantastic Mania show, which is meant to be introducing people to, you know, Japanese people to Mexican wrestling, would be kind of an oversight, right? And it, that, there would be a problem there with representation. So, yeah, just keep an open mind about everything, but don't be worried if you are, like, pissed off or upset by, by you know, because you wouldn't be the only one. And it doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the matches that he's not I in mean, outside I, of that, you I, know? Feel, I do so. feel it generally comes from a very good place. Like, they're not doing it maliciously. I, th I think, yeah. No, I think it's one of those things where... You sometimes get people, especially in wrestling, which, let's face it, for all the kind of modernity and kind of um, out-the-box thinking of DDT, wrestling in lots of parts of the world is still, um, you know, um, uh, a medium of expression that takes a long time to catch up with sort of the rest of culture sometimes, you know? It's not always 100% on the button, so, you know... I mean, at its worst, wrestling is a crime against every human right you can think of. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I... At the end of the day, Jerry Lawler is one of my favourite wrestlers of all time. <laughs> so I am not going to take the moral high ground on anything ever. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, he's because... never been convicted of anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, D D Dino just um, plays a predatory race. <laughs> allegedly. Uh, allegedly. Anyway. Uh, yeah, whoops. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so just, oh, wow. you know, just uh, I don't have enough money to fight legal cases at this point, guys. No, but no, you. I've got 39 quid in my savings account. So, yeah, I'm yeah, not <laughs> I don't get paid for two weeks, so let's just make you know make sure it's happening. They don't even cash in iron brew bottles now, so I'm I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I've got no, no dinner. Exactly. Like... But, yeah, I mean, we should. Speaking of dinner, we should probably let Jamie go on to the life that he yeah, definitely yeah. has, unlike us. <laughs> we should probably let him go, and you know. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're all we're all. Fans I mean, look who you're like, talking you know? to. You're talking to a guy who's been running a DDT website for seven years. So, I mean, <laughs> oh man, but it's been really, 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 really good though, Jamie. So, thank you so much. Well, actually, uh, just before you go in, um, I really I would feel amiss if we didn't let you um, plug your shit. Go, what, what do you have going on, Jamie? Okay, well, uh, my main blog is uh, dramaticddt.wordpress.com. Uh, for I've been trying the best as I can to explain everything that goes on in the company. Uh, Twitter account is their dramatic DDT. They have a official video on demand service called DDT Universe that costs 900 yen a month, and there is an English sign-up guide both on my site and their site as well. So uh, I cannot stress you never underestimate people's inability to sign up to these websites when it's in another language. Oh, no. I work in customer service. Don't underestimate people's uh, I, I know <laughs> ability to sign up for things in their own language. Never mind in a second one. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Other things going on. Uh, there was a recent article about DDT posted on uh, Deadspin.com, which is an American sports blog. Uh, I did some. Uh, con uh, I, I added some things to that. Um, I think that's everything DDT related that I can talk about for now. There might be one or two things in the future that. Maybe I can be involved with, but uh, that nah, I I can just blue ball you that way. Um, but again, thank you so much for doing this. You really didn't have to, but I'm really so glad that you did. It's it's been it's been oh, such a. And I've been happy to. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Genuinely, like, yeah, re really, really happy to have you as our our first guest on the show. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, yeah, uh, you're free to go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Thanks. See you later. All right. Good luck. Cheers. Thanks. 
Kabari? Yeah. Kabari? Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's just, I'm the Iron Man champ, Kev. You defend the belt 24 hours a day. I just wanted to strap here. Yeah, for first dress, Scott. Wait, wait, wait. Hey, can you do me a favor? Just read this real quick. It's just, I'll be right with you, Kev. It's a formality. I don't know what it is. Don't get old. I give up. Yeah? Yeah. No, no, bro, there was no one, two, three. You said I no. give up. I give up. Oh. Yeah. Oh. That easy. Okay, Colts, you yeah. see, the, see you down the road. Yeah. yeah see you down the road. See you down the road. Did you happen to see the uh, the story I posted that Dan Reed told us about Ibushi? Uh, um, it, where's the, is this in the messages or in a, a thread? No, this is on the group. Oh, right. I don't think so. Is it in the Eve thread? No, no, no. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was It was about... Um, so, so Remind basically, me what it was. It was the story about them trying to... They were trying to teach Ibushi some English. Because he, he speaks hardly any, yeah, any English yeah. at all. Yeah. Basically, they've they've got this guy called uh, Yusuke, who is a Japanese guy who lives in London. And when uh, Japanese people come over, he's like their fixer. Um, uh, like, so he okay. translates for them, he helps them out. He, 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 he does it all for free as well. Wow. Like, he just loves the graps. Um, he's kind of like Ash in the sense that Ash doesn't receive financial rewards, but he does get yeah, DVDs, posters, yeah, free admission, yeah. stuff like that. So Yusuke is just like, he's just a friendly Japanese man who... Uh, helps them out with certain things uh-huh. and um uh the uh, <laughs> what happened was that uh yusuke and emily reed decided it would be an idea to teach kotobushi some english uh-huh. and uh the thing they decided to teach him uh was was the phrase bucket fanny ha! <laughs> oh because because there's, there's, <laughs> and, uh, there's really only percent of a situation in which you could possibly use that in a conversation with an English person that it'd be okay, really. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the first Dan Reed knew of this was because he'd had to, like, stay behind to um, clear stuff up. And Will Ospreay had taken everyone to Nando's, obviously. um, Oh, he's such a lad. They all got across the road for a cheeky Nando's, and um, he came in a bit late, and he saw Ibushi sitting there. And he was like, all right, Kota, how are you doing? And Ibushi just turns around and goes, bucket fanny. <laughs> <laughs> and and he's just like, no, nah, I can't hurt that right. <laughs> Kota, say that again. He was like, bucket fanny. <laughs> and he thought like, this must be some, it sounds like he's saying bucket fanny, but this must be some Japanese yeah, friends yeah, or something. Yeah. That Buk- I don't know. Like, Kota, one Bukabano, more time, yeah. just, just real slow for me. And he just went, bucket fanny. <laughs> well, we can, hey, as an English <laughs> teacher, I'm just glad he's got the phonetics right. Like, <laughs> since the show our relationship really hasn't changed to be honest i mean we are still extremely supportive of each other i love her completely and utterly and she's exactly the same way about me shi chan actually really enjoys foot rubs that's probably one of her favorite things in the world she thinks her feet are like one of her best and cutest assets and i'm inclined to agree I think people think uh, having a synthetic partner is strange because it's just so out of their realm of possibility. That's, for instance, why I had the psychologist come around and uh, I spoke with him for a bit. Is there a part of you that thinks this is peculiar? I just think it's a matter of time before more people are choosing the synthetic option. Dave, she can't see. Yeah. And she can't hear. Yes. One of the most fundamental elements of an addiction is it provides relief from pain. Yes. What's the pain here? 
Uh, the pain, I would have to say, would be loneliness, really. It makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. and, and it's fulfilling for you. Exactly. And it doesn't hurt anyone. Exactly. So knock yourself out. Yes. <laughs> I get it. The relationship I have with Shichan is for my happiness. You know, if I play along and pretend that she can see, she can hear, that sort of thing, well, if that's what makes me happy, you know, that's what makes me happy. So I really see no reason to change.